Hey there, welcome to our Friday Night Milk and Meats. I'm Sean, you're watching this on Kingdom of Context. We appreciate everyone that's here. We already have quite a few people in the chat. And I just want to say thank you guys for uh, showing up tonight and being ready to um, hear a, a very fun topic. All right, this is one of the topics that a lot of believers argue about. This is one of the topics that a lot of believers take out of context easily. And it's just, I, we'll try to address it tonight. So hopefully it's going to benefit people. Servant of Yah, thanks for coming back. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. James Crawl, Pete Holmes, thank you for coming back, everybody. Ark Builder CCMC, welcome back, brother. Uh, Tim, welcome back. I can't say her last name, sorry. Um, Joshua Clayton, Michelle, R.A. Tacky, A.C., welcome back, everyone. Cover to cover with Jeremy Pierce. Mr. Wayne, welcome, sir. And Muhammad is back. Yeah, Eric Rice is here. Welcome, brother. Gavin is here. Amanda, um, looks like you guys are already having a good time in the chat. Anthony Dickinson already dropped a super chat. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. If I can get to that, where did it go? Yeah, it's already gone from my screen, but I see that you dropped it. It just won't let me put it on the main screen. Oh, there it is. There it is. Appreciate that, brother. And... Um, so as always tonight, we are going to, I got, you know, with the milk and meats, uh, this isn't a Q&A tonight, but we will take questions as we always do. It's going to be after I go through some of my slides, just kind of go over these concepts. And that way, we, you know, you'll probably form your questions during this time. And as always, with every topic that we try to address, the Bible's a big book. I can't address every single scripture. Otherwise, we'd be here for seven, eight hours and no one wants to watch that. So I'm going to try to, you know, I've picked out the scriptures to try to address them and, and their context and what's going on to explain these these ideas as succinctly as possible. Um, but I know that many of you will be like, oh, but what about this verse? You didn't address this verse. That's why you had the Q&A at the end. So you can ask me about that verse. Just here's how you do it. OK, <laughs> if you first time watching the channel, or if you're new to the channel, you got to turn on your caps lock and then type out your question and then turn your caps lock off. So that way you're you're capped question is in all large capitalization letters and I can see it easily and the moderators can see it easily. And then I can, you have a better chance of me addressing your question because sometimes we get too many questions um, more than I can actually address. So that's how you do it. That's the best chance you're going to have. Um, or if you want to do a super chat, that's up to you. But if you don't want to, you know, if you don't want to donate any money for, for getting your question noticed that just put it in all caps. Um, 
And also, after I go over the main portion of what I'm going to explain from the scriptures, I'll put at the link scrolling at the bottom of the screen the actual call-in link. So if you you know want to be on camera and you want to ask me a question live, I'll give you a chance to do that as well. So as you guys may have seen, um, with the intro there, we have the the little advert to you know remind people about we're doing the contextual study guide. That's for people on our Patreon. Um, it's something I've been working on, and and because of our tragedy, our family recently, I got derailed and. Uh, I've been off a few weeks as far as my schedule for being able to release my first uh, few books of that, but uh, that is on the way. Still working on it every day and get trying to get that that uh, completed and ready to release. So all of you who are waiting at the twenty dollars Patreon family uh, tier level for that, it's coming soon. I do want to encourage you, and um, uh, that way you know you'll start to see a little bit of it as I progress throughout the next year and complete all the books that we want to do. It's just going to be. More than just the 66 canon, I'm going to try to do a lot of the other books that were in other canons or what people might call apocryphal or deuterocanonical. So there's going to be a lot of books, 80 plus books that I'm going to include as a final total in this contextual study guide of scripture. And so, um, you know, just uh, be prepared. It's coming. It's just going to take time. It's a big project. I'm the only one doing it. So uh, it just takes time. And people are, are constantly asking me about the Babylon series next week, part 12. On uh, the investigation, that's going to be our Kingdom Cast channel. So make sure you subscribe to that channel as well. And that's coming next week. Um, I've just had a lot, lots going on, lots going on. Uh, Prodigal Sons asking about Lighthouse, guys. If you're not in the, the the Facebook group, is probably the largest of the social media groups that we had a presence to give updates. So we gave an update in March explaining that they had shifted uh, from servers that were likely to censor them, and they shifted to servers a hosting system that's not going to censor them. So that was this after what they saw happen with Parler and how Parler was removed from the internet and from the server system. Uh, they decided they didn't want to be volatile to that. They never expected the, the server systems to behave like that. But when they saw them behave like that, they realized they needed to insulate themselves from that kind of censorship. That process takes time. It's That's why we made the announcement a couple of months ago. It's going to be three or four months before they're ready to start their beta because they're shifting everything to a different company with different servers uh, that can facilitate everything they're doing. So project is still in process. It's still happening. It's just had a delay. Like all businesses that start, there's a delay. In fact, uh, some of the programmers, um, like their little lingo in, in their programming world, they say like any good project that's not delayed six months to a year, then it's not a project worth, you know, worth releasing anyway. Uh, you know, I don't know how I feel about that, but at the same time, it's just natural in business. You have hiccups, you have delays. So um, if it was up to me guys, if I could snap my finger, we'd already have it, but it's just, you know, I'm not a developer and I'm not uh, the people that are uh, backing financially, putting into the, the resources and making those types of decisions on a daily basis. So praying, I'm praying for them. I'm praying the father to guide their hands, uh, the father to give them wisdom and how they do this so that it can become a reality for people. And so, yeah, that's the idea guys. Just uh, thanks for your patience. Um, but let's get right into it, okay? Because we, I want to cover some of this before we get too far. We're here like seven minutes already. So guys, we've heard this topic mentioned a lot, right? And in fact, there's a lot of dispensational teachers in mainstream Christianity that will, will use this term, the law of Christ, and they juxtapose it to say it's somehow different or antithetical. It's somehow the inverse or the opposite of the law of Moses. Now, the assumption is that they glorify Christ, which we all do. We're disciples of Christ. We believe in Jesus as the son of God, the son of Nazareth. I know a lot of people like to call him Yeshua. Some people like to call him Yahushua. We don't get into sacred name arguments on this channel. We just reverence him as our Messiah, our Savior, the son of God. 
And ultimately, people will say, well, because Paul used this term a couple of times in the New Testament, the law of Christ, they think that it kind of goes with dispensation theology, right? The supersessionism, uh, new covenant theology, where they think that, oh, well, we're in a different standard because we're in a new covenant. So therefore, we're in a different standard and we call it the law of Christ. We don't obey the standard of behavior that's defined as the law of Moses in scripture. But that makes a lot of assumptions, right? The whole idea makes a lot of assumptions that what they're calling the law of Moses is one thing. And that's an assumption that they've made is how they're defining the quote unquote law of Moses. Therefore, with their assumption and their definition, they make it different from the quote unquote law of Christ. So we're going to go over these terms. We're going to break them down from scripture. And hopefully at the end of this, you'll have some a resource by which you can go to your friends and family who are confused by that extremely erroneous teaching. They don't even realize how contradictory the teaching is because that, you know, this is what they've been taught, right? So this is, hopefully you'll have some resources after this to go and, and um, share with your friends and family in a very loving and productive way, right? That's our, that's our goal. We want to, we want to treat them gently. We want to correct people with gentleness. Uh, we don't want to go to them with, um, you know, arrogance, right? We don't want to be puffed up. We don't want to be overly assertive or overbearing. That's one of the definitions of arrogance. And that way they won't receive what you're trying to show, you know, the word of truth to them. Thank you, son of sanctified. I really appreciate that super chat. Uh, let's jump right into it, guys. So here we go. These are the two big passages. A lot of people will use this term, the law of Christ, when they're using this type of, of argumentation. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and thus you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, guys, a lot of you that have been with the channel for a long time, you you already see like right off the bat, you're like, okay, well, this is, yeah, they're just taking these things out of context um, because clearly bear one another's burdens is in the Old Testament. That was, you know, preached through all the prophets, not just Moses. Uh, that was a part of the Torah. It's Deuteronomy 15, Deuteronomy 22. It's, you know, it's literally how you would help those who are in need. So right right off the bat, we know that Paul in Galatians 6.2 is explaining a precept, a, a way of behavior that is consistent in the Old Testament that Yeshua also taught in Matthew 11 and Matthew 6 and other places. So like we know that he didn't really teach anything new. And here is here's Paul expressing Yeshua's teaching. Um, and we're actually going to go over the word law, which is nomo in the Greek. We're going to go over that in a few minutes as it's used throughout the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 22. Now, this is a famous passage that a lot of people will take directly out of context. So just take verse 20 and 21. And just pull this, just just cherry plug it right out of context. So if we start with verse 19, just, I mean, I would rather like to start with the entire book of, of Corinthians, but since for the sake of time, if I'm trying to gather some surrounding context, if I start with verse 19 and go through 22, it, it reads, though I am free of obligation to anyone, I myself make, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Now we know you, Paul is speaking in an evangelistic way right now. He's talking about how he wants to win people to faith in Yeshua. That was the goal. That was why he felt he was sent as Galatians 2.1 explains. He was an apostle, excuse me, Galatians 1.2. He was sent in the agency of Yeshua because of the visitation that he had to go preach Yeshua. All right. So he, he considered himself a debtor to Yeshua, a bondservant, uh, someone that would um, go out for the rest of his life and give his life even, which he did to help bring people to the truth of who Yeshua was. So with that, that's why he's saying, I'm trying to make myself you know, a slave to everyone, right? That word means a servant. Okay. He's not literally saying, Hey, would you take me into slavery so that I can tell you about Christ? No, it's just, he's trying to say, I try to serve everyone so I can win as many people as possible. Now see the Jews, I become like a Jew. What does that mean? I become like a Jew. 
where we know that if we understand the New Testament in the first century AD, you understand that they had very specific customs. I mean, he tries to explain it in Galatians chapter two, how he used to be very zealous for the traditions of his forefathers, which was just part of Judaism that he was in the sect of. He explains this in Galatians two. And now he's moved away from that to serve Christ. Okay. So he's trying to say to the Jews, have become like a Jew. What would that mean to win the Jews? What does that mean? Is he going back like he says in Galatians 3, 1, is he, is he bewitching himself and going back into that behavior of Judaism, which rejects Christ and tries to earn their own salvation and, and specifically thinking they're in covenant just because they've circumcised themselves? No, he's not doing that at all. He's just saying, I I relate to the Jews like a Jew because I want to win some for Yeshua, right? This is what I, you know, we would, you saw me do when I debated the rabbi, right? Where I, I go into the Old Testament, I go into the, the law of God and the Torah, the law and the prophets, and express to him the things that he's supposed to be familiar with in order to express to him the priesthood of Yeshua and why it matters to him. So he goes on to say, To those under the law, I become like one under the law. Now he's continued to express what he just, this is the context coupled with verse 19. He's continued to express and expound what he just introduced in verse 19 which is those who are quote unquote under the law, right? So you remember the, what the Jews were doing in the first century AD that Yeshua addressed everywhere in the gospels is the Talmudic Pharisaic Jews and the Sadducees walked around as self-imposed authorities and teachers to the people. And they told them to obey the law of God and our traditions. So therefore it became a synonymous idea for them to say, if you're not, you're not obeying the quote unquote law, if you don't obey what we say, which is their traditions. That's why Yeshua had to chastise them in Mark 7, 8 through 11 for putting their traditions over the commandments of God. I went through and counted throughout the entire New Testament. I don't have the this, this slide for it right now, but I made a, an actual picture of it and I quoted every single one. Actually, let me just give me a minute and let me see if I can find it real quick. I'll pull this up on screen and I actually counted every single place in the New Testament where the Pharisees, um, also called the party of circumcision, also called the quote unquote Jews, like you see right here in First Corinthians 9, everywhere that where they're being referred to as this particular group, they're maligning, twisting, rejecting, contorting the law of God, um, or blaspheming the law of God because of their traditions, because they hated Yeshua and his disciples who were keeping the true Torah of the law and the prophets. Um, let me see if I can find this real quick if possible, and I'll put it on the screen for you. I don't know if I'll be able to, but I'll do my best. Got a lot of memes I've made over the years. I'm back and find this real quick. Um, yeah, here it is. Nope. Yeah, here it is. I think you guys can see it. Maybe. <laughs> All right, it's not going to work. One second. One second, guys. All right, I think you can see it on screen, but here's 100. It's 127 times, guys. There's 127 negative mentions in the New Testament where the Pharisees twisted, rejected, or persecuted those who followed the actual law of God, the actual instructions, the commandments that we see throughout the law and the prophets, not just Moses, but all the law and the prophets. So we're going to, we're going to jump into Moses and that term law of Moses here in a few minutes. But right now we're dealing with this idea of why is Paul using this terminology, the law of Christ? Why is he having to use that? And specifically, why is he using it here in uh first Corinthians when we're talking about um, one second guys, sorry. 
There we go. Yeah, why is he using it here in First Corinthians when he's talking about re referencing like he's becoming like the Jews when he's around the Jews, right? So that he can win them, win them to Yeshua. Now he actually expounds even further in the next passage, and this is where the, these passages that people start to take out of context. It says, "To those without the law, I'm become like one without the law, though I'm not outside the law of God, but I'm under the law of Christ." So let's just take take the statement at face value for what it for what we're looking at right here because this is, seems to be the big the big one that people like to use. He says in here, and even though a lot of the translations put him in parentheses in the Greek, there's no parentheses. It's just him expounding on his statement within the statement, like a prepositional phrase. He says, "Though I'm not outside the law of God, but I'm under the law of Christ." So he's telling you right now, I'm not outside the law of God. To those who are without the law, I become one like without the law. He's just trying to say, look, I'm trying to relate to everybody, where they, wherever they are in their life and their journey and their walk, faith or no faith, Judaism or no Judaism. I try to relate to them. That's all he's trying to say, guys. And he has to caveat, just in case anyone would try to think he doesn't follow the law, he has to caveat to say, though I'm not outside the law of God, but am under the law of Christ. So he's expounding on explaining to you what it means when he says, I'm not outside the law of God but I'm under the law of Christ. How can you make, think about those two statements together? I'm not outside the law of God. That means he's inside the law of God. I can't, my little, I need a, I need a better visual, don't I? So if you're inside something, you're not outside of it, you're inside of it and you're under the law of Christ. That means the law of Christ is also inside the law of God. Do you see that? Do you see how that works? <laughs> He says, to win those without the law. Now, to the weak, I become weak. To win the weak. You see how he's expounding on it? He's just trying to relate to people where they are. So this isn't him trying to say that he's duplicitous. He's not, He's not. you know, being a hypocrite and acting in pharisaical ways when he's around the Pharisees and then acting, um, you know, according to Yeshua's teachings around the disciples, like people who, who bash Paul and slander Paul, try to make that claim. He's not doing that, guys. He's just trying to express to you. He's trying to make himself relatable so he can express this message. We do this all the time. It's basic evangelism 101. You try to make yourself relatable to people to express to them the truth of the word. But he, he feels actually compelled in this passage to actually say, though I'm not outside the law of God, but I'm under the law of Christ. So what does that mean? That means... Inside the law of God, you can be under the law of Christ. That makes perfect sense when you know who Christ is and why he was sent to be the Messiah. What does it mean that he's sent to be the Messiah, which is our high priest, someone who does the law of God? That means you're under that high priest's authority if you are following as a disciple of that high priest. You're under his authority, and that high priest is in the authority of God, ministering the law of God. All right. So a lot of people say, well, that was cool. It was only 19 minutes. Let's go do something else. But I've got more verses for you. You guys ready? Here in 1 Corinthians 9, 8 through 9, here we have more phraseology of this term law of Moses. It says, do I say this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law say the same thing for it's written in the law of Moses? Do not muzzle an ox while he's treading out the grain. Is it about the ox that God's concerned? So here's how we have, you know, while Paul's trying to express about, you know, why you're supposed to support people that labor in the kingdom, um, he's going back to a, an Old Testament law. And he's expressing that it was written in the quote unquote law of Moses. 
That's how he turns it. Also, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28. A lot of people think it's Paul. Some don't. It doesn't matter. The writer of Hebrews uses the same terminology to say anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy in the testimony of two or three witnesses. All right. So people can start reading these passages and they start to think, all right, well, maybe that's a separate thing. Maybe the law of Moses is different from the from the quote unquote law of Christ. Is that is that what it is? I don't know. Maybe it's different. Let's read Acts 13, 38 through 39. It says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. So the big question that you would have here is what does it mean to be justified? What does it mean through that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you? Again, this is where we've emphatically tried to express the priesthood of Yeshua on this channel. If you don't understand the priesthoods expounded upon in the Old Testament, you have no clue what your Messiah is doing for you right now. You have no clue why the disciple John in 1 John 1, verse 8 and 9, would express to you that you are to confess your sins. And Jesus, who's faithful and just, will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If you don't understand the priesthood of the Old Testament, you have no clue why the same writer of Hebrews, as we see on screen here in, in chapter 10, in previous chapters, he spends like nine chapters expressing the priesthood of Yeshua and what that means. And how he's ministering the law of God on your behalf right now. And what that looks like is the same thing it looked like on the ground with the Levites in the Old Testament. So this is why it was such a big deal. He's, this is how the writer of Hebrews, speaking to Hebrews, is relating the idea of what Yeshua is doing for them that makes it relevant to them. He's your high priest now. It's a big deal to them. That was their authority. That was their ruler. That was someone they looked to. That was someone that Malachi 2, 6 and 7 expresses as the mouthpiece of the father. He was an extremely important position to be the high priest. So this here in verse 38-39 uh, of Acts 13, if, you, if Jesus, that's the person forgiving your sins because he's in a position of priesthood to do that. He ministers before the Father on your behalf to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Then at the resurrection, he's going to raise you from the dead. That's when you're fully justified forever. It's no longer a deposit of faith. That's when you get the fullness of the spirit in a spiritual body. You resurrected to a new created body that's you've never had before. You're reborn. This is where Yeshua comes in, and he has that authority to raise you, right? And he expresses this in Revelation 3 5. He also talks about in John chapter 5, the whole chapter. We're going to go over some of those passages here in just a minute, but he also he says, This is how you were justified from the things from the law of Moses that couldn't justify you. Because why? Because the instructions for good behavior given to Moses and then disseminated to the people of Israel did not have the power to raise anyone from the dead, but it was part of their covenant. It was what the person who does have the power, Yeshua, who's also the King of Israel in covenant as the high priest, the terms of the covenant is what he actually evaluates people in order to resurrect them. That's how he judges them for every word and deed. So therefore, yes, the law of Moses the, the instructions passed down through Moses could not justify anyone in the way that Yeshua can, because Moses nor any of the prophets were given the power to raise people from the dead. It's very simple, guys, and, and understanding the resurrection has a big deal to do with it. So this is why Yeshua resurrects us, takes away all of our sin forever. We get this new incredible body. We'll never sin again. Laws put on our hearts. We'll know it perfectly. We won't have to have lessons like this tonight. <laughs> so. And it won't, it's not, we won't use this moniker of the law of Moses because it's the instruction of our Messiah, the one who's over us. See what I'm saying? 
This is why Yeshua is likened unto a prophet like Moses. So this is why Yeshua can justify you, but the instructions passed down through the prophet Moses, passed down from the Father through angels to Moses, then to the people, those instructions don't have the power that Jesus has in his actual priesthood to resurrect you from the dead. That's because that's not how that worked. He's expressing, you remember, again, we're, we're dealing with the disciples had a constant thorn on their side, like Paul tries to explain, of the Jews, 127 times in the New Testament, running around trying to take people away from Yeshua to the point where they tried to take Yeshua away from the people by murdering him. So therefore, the disciples, this battle is still going after Yeshua ascends to heaven, after his resurrection. The disciples, including Paul, are still dealing with these Pharisees. They're constantly going around telling people, you cannot be in covenant with God just because you believe in, the, in Jesus as your high priest and the Messiah. You can't be, you have to get circumcised and learn all of our traditions. That's what they were going around telling people. That's what they're battling in Acts 15 in the whole book of Galatians. And also in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 8, 17 through 20. This is, I mean, there's a whole bunch of places that Paul has to address this because that's the lies that are being perpetrated to the converts that they had made to Yeshua because they were taking over the region. Faith in Yeshua was growing exponentially. And the, the Pharisees realized the guy that stood up to them and told them that they were brood of vipers, liars, whitewashed tombs, thieves, that guy, everyone's believing in him. They're following him. So how do we stop this? So they had to. Sorry, guys, my power or my, my microphone just went out a little bit. So therefore, it's it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a constant argumentation that the disciples are having to address. This idea that, you know, you can be in covenant with God and you don't have to get circumcised first. You can do that later. Yes, that's one of the commandments. Yes, it's eternal, but you can do that later. It's not your first entry barrier. Your first entry barrier is to believe Jesus was the Messiah that was sent. What was the story of him that's being sent? Well, he's going to not just live, die, and resurrect, right? That was a part of it for sure. But now, now he has the power to take away, to forgive you of your sins. That's the job of a high priest. Yeshua is the high priest, not the imposter that was acting during the days of the first century. So the point is, there's they're having to tell the true story, and they're getting flat constantly. So this is why they're having to constantly address this terminology that's called the law of Moses being used in the first century AD. We go on to say, let's look more at this idea. What exactly did Moses receive? People want to say that Moses received the law of God and that they, they don't even, I apologize. People don't say Moses received the law of God. They say Moses gave the law of Moses. Do you see that semantic misunderstanding there? It's not just that he, <laughs> that Moses came up with a bunch of stuff, right? The tablets in Moses' hand when he came down from Mount Sinai, they weren't his information. Uh, it's For whatever reason, I don't, I don't know how like this became such a popular statement that people believed. It's truly just because people don't read their Bibles. When he came down from the, from the Mount Sinai and he has this information to give to them, which the scriptures were going to go over real quick, it's not his information, guys. It's Moses didn't come up with anything. He's... He's called the law giver, not the law creator, not the law originator, not the law inventor, not the law author. He's called the law giver. He's literally just passing on the message from the creator to the people. It's it's really very simple. It's, it's, it's at its heart. It's just a semantic argument and a, a lack of familiarity with the word. So this is where we go here in Exodus 19. Let's look at let's look at this idea of who's the people he gave God's instructions to, because this wasn't the first time they heard them. And this wasn't, 
this wasn't a new or novel concept for the people of the Hebrews. In Exodus 19, 1 through 8, in the third month, in the same day of the month that the Israelites left the land of Egypt, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. After they set out from the Rephidim, they entered the wilderness of Sinai, and Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you are to tell the house of Jacob and explain to the Israel. To Israel. Have you, you have seen for yourselves what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession out of all the nations, for the whole earth is mine. And unto me you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together, we will do everything that the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought their words back to the Lord. What was going on? Why did he carry them out of Egypt on eagles' wings with that idiomatic phrase and brought him to himself? Why did he do that? Why, why is he saying, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant? A lot of people think that this was the first time that he's offering to do a covenant with them, but they don't realize that the third month, which is the very first verse of Exodus 19, tells you what's going on. If you read the rest of Exodus 19 and do the math, you realize by the time Exodus 24, 9 and 10 happens, they're having Shavuot. If we understand the definition of Shavuot, which Jubilees helps us greatly with that, we see that it is the renewal of the covenant between God and Israel every year. And it's been kept even all the way back to Noah. When Noah's getting off the boat in Genesis 9, he's doing a sacrifice. He's doing Shavuot at that point. It's the third month, the middle of the third month. So, for a lot of you that have celebrated Shavuot and last week, and, and some of you are about to celebrate Shavuot next week, um, it's a joyous time, right? You've got you know, 50 days after uh, Passover, so it's, or kind, so to speak, um, it's a joyous time, right? It's, it's, but what it is is an actual renewal of the covenant between the Father and those in faith and belief on the earth. And it's happened since creation began. In fact, it's actually, according to the Book of Jubilees, the the law of, or the uh, festival and the joy, the covenant renewal of Shavuot is even kept by the angels in heaven every year, and they have been doing it since creation began, because they keep the same standard of behavior up there. Father's not a father's not a you know, he's not giving two people different standards of behavior uh, that are in covenant with him. It's the same. This that's why I have here highlighted here. If you will obey my voice, that means what he's going to command them. And keep my covenant. Those are intimately linked, guys. It's the same con. The terms of the covenant define the covenant. You can't have. You can't have. You can't be in a covenant with God and not do His terms. The terms define the covenant, and even in the new covenant, it's the same terms. You have to do His instructions, His behavior, which is what He commands with His voice. That's all He's ever asked of His people. Just, just imitate me. Just do my behavior. Because everything will go well if you do. I'm the creator. I act perfectly. I know how to do this. And you don't. So if you just act like I act, everything will go well for you. And oh, by the way, it's the terms of my covenant. And you'll be blessed because of it. So this is all he's trying to say, guys. I guess at, at its heart, a lot of people understand, don't understand that the covenant was not something novel at Mount Sinai. So that's why they think the law, quote unquote, law Moses moment at Mount Sinai was some kind of new thing. That's why they somehow put it in its own little box of speciality. Um, we definitely know that Judaism does that. And that's usually where Protestant churches get that information is from the misinformation from Judaism. 
uh, because Judaism ignores Abraham and Noah and all those guys, and they it doesn't speak of them in the same regard as they do Moses. And so therefore they have this weird speciality they've placed on. It's actually idolatry, in my opinion, that they've placed on Moses. This comes from Judaism. We don't do Judaism here. We don't teach Judaism. We refute Judaism and its very wayward teachings. It's a, it's its own little idolatrous cult that has been around and for a long, long time. It's literally the uh, opposing religious belief that, that went against our Messiah to take him to the cross. So this is where it, if we understand it at most basic premise that the covenant is defined by the behavior that you do, and that behavior is what the father gave to his people. And why is it called his people? That's the bigger question. A lot of people forget guys, when they were in Goshen and they were being oppressed by the Egyptians, they were already his people. How do you already become his people? If you're not in covenant with him, they were already his people. That's why he heard their cry and move to action to bring them out and redeem them through Moses and, you know, to, to mo make Moses their deliverer in that moment to get them out of Egypt and get them out of that slavery and bondage. That's why it says I've indeed seen the affliction of my people in Egypt. They're already in covenant with him, but because of the oppression, and this is where Jubilees chapter 47 through 49 and, and Exodus chapter one through two. And um, this is where it expounds their hearts and their minds they had forgotten the terms of the covenant because they've been oppressed by the Egyptians so much. They couldn't even sacrifice, which is means have a fellowship meal with their creator, with the father in the land of Goshen anymore. That was a part of the systematic ever encroaching suppression that Egypt was doing through two different generations on the, on the Israelites in the land of Goshen. This is why in Exodus six through nine, Moses and Aaron are negotiating with Pharaoh to let the people go and do and worship at the mountain, which is, you know, have create a, a meal with animals before Yahweh at the base of Mount Sinai to celebrate Shavuot. And Pharaoh's like, no, you can go, but don't take your animals with you. Because that was a thing that that was they had made it against the rules that the Egyptians had outlawed the ability for the Hebrews to actually create fellowship meals to quote unquote sacrifice to their God. So they have there was an ever encroaching sense of of uh, oppression, not just of forcing them into slave labor, but also to keep them from following the terms of the covenant to their God to Yahweh. It's a religious spiritual battle they were in, and they were losing. So the father had to come deliver them out of that situation. That's why they're his people, even in Goshen, in the, when they get to the base of Mount Sinai, before he's said the terms of the covenant and they have the fellowship meal of Shavuot in Exodus 24, in Exodus 19, he's saying, I will make you a great nation if you obey my voice and keep the terms of my covenant. Because he's reminding them of something that they had not been taught and their elders had forgotten because of the, the oppression. So this is a huge, huge point of context. A lot of people really don't understand. So here we are in Exodus 24, 12 through 17 on actual Shavuot when they're having this fellowship meal with the elders of Moses and Aaron on the mountain of God. Um, it says, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here so that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I've written for their instruction. So Moses set out with Joshua's attendant, went up to the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. Aaron and her are here with you. Whoever is dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered, the glory of the Lord settled on Mount, si on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered it. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop in the eyes of the Israelites. So everyone's seeing this happen. They're witnessing the idea that Moses is going to receive something. That's why he literally says, 
Come up here that I may give you, said Yahweh through his angels, or saying to Moses, I'm going to give you, Moses. Moses is not going up there to write something himself. It's not the law of Moses, as in he created it. It's literally, Moses is just the conduit. He's just the go-between. He's the gopher, right? He's being sent up the mountain to go get something. And he's going to get what the Father wants to remind them, the fullness of his terms of his covenant, so they can walk in it and be his people in a righteous way, in a good way, right? Not in a rebellious way, not in a confused way with bad theology mingled from the Egyptians. So therefore that's this moment. He's trying to give them instruction. That's why he literally says, I have written for their instruction. The law literally just means instruction, guys. It's not a special category. Every time you see the word law, you could just say it's instruction. This is where we have, this is why you would have, um, Paul trying to give break down a difference between the quote unquote law of the Jews, the law of the instruction of Judaism versus the instruction of Christ. You see how that works? When, when Paul has to expound that I'm not outside the law of God, that he's trying to say I'm inside the law of God, but I'm under Christ. I'm under the law of Christ. He's saying I'm inside the instruction of Yahweh. I'm doing the terms of the covenant, but I'm doing it under the instruction of yeshua why because he's a disciple of yeshua because yeshua is called a teacher and a prophet messiah someone that taught proper sound doctrine we're going to go over that in just a minute so guys this is very easy just the instruction of christ what is the instruction of christ what did christ teach here in exodus 34 27 through 28 lord said to moses write down these words for in accordance with these words i made a covenant with you in israel so now we're getting more exp uh, expounding on, he just said, come up the mountain, I'm give you this law, it's for their instruction. Now he's saying, write down these words because it's part of the covenant I'm making with you in Israel. His instructions are the terms of the covenant. It's really that simple, guys. It's not some special weird thing that's considered a burdenous law. It's literally just the father, the creator of all things saying, look, I want to get, I want to give you guys instruction. It's part of my covenant with you. He didn't give them some bad standard of behavior. He gave them good behavior. It's called righteousness. And he expounds in verse 28 to say, these are the words of the covenant. He goes on in Jubilees, chapter 1, 1 through 5. This is a, a, a different telling of the Mount Sinai event. And he says in these quick passages, it says, It came to pass in the first year of the exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt in the third month, on the 16th day of the month, that God spoke to Moses, saying, Come up to me on the mounts. I'll give these tablets, these two tablets of stone of the law and the commandment. Right? I'm going to skip down to the end of verse 5. The father says to Moses, incline your heart to every word which I shall speak to you on this mountain and write them in a book in order that the generations may see. I have not forsaken them for all their evil, which we they have wrought in transgressing the covenant, which I established between me and you and for their generations this day on Mount Sinai. So this is the begin. This is Exodus 19, retold in Jubilees chapter 1. But you get more information like what I just explained earlier. They were already in covenant, guys, and they were transgressing that covenant. This is why he's saying, he's trying to let them know with such love and mercy, I saved them out of Egypt because I have not forsaken them. We go on to find out later, it's, and, and you know he does that, even, even though that generation was evil and wicked, he, does, he saves them out of Egypt on behalf of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and to, that it's not their works, but his, right? His glory, his grace, his mercy to them that he saved them, right? So this is why he's saying, this generation is evil, they're transgressing my covenant. But give them this law and commandment. Give them these instructions. That's what the word you know, commandment means in, in the Hebrew as well anyway. It means instructions. 
Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20, at the end of Moses' life, 40 years later, we have a, a reiteration of this concept, tying in the instructions as a part of the covenant. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20, he says, See, I've set before you today life and goodness, as well as death and disaster. Guys, is we just read Deuteronomy 30, 15. He just said, I set before you life and goodness. So whenever we hear someone say that the law of God was a burden and was and was for just for the Jews, and we're like, why did he give why did he give them life and goodness if they obeyed the terms of the covenant? When Yeshua tells us to do good works, so does Paul in Romans 2 and Romans 12, so does James and James 2 and James 4, so does for you know what I'm saying? What so how how could these things how could this be some weird bad standard of behavior that now suddenly the law of Christ is something different? That's a better standard of behavior. It's not. It's the same standard of behavior, guys. The instruction of Christ is the same instruction given to Moses because it's the same instructions of the covenant to be in relationship with the Father and to do his behavior. It's the same behavior, guys. Why? The Father doesn't change. It says, he goes on to say, For I'm commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, that's his behaviors, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his ordinances, that's his decisions, that's how he judges, that's his evaluations on how to behave, so that you may live and increase. And the Lord your God may bless you in the land that you're entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, you don't listen to what you, and you don't listen, but are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them. I declare to you today that you will surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. I call heaven and earth as witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. That's all. It's very simple, guys. Do the terms of the covenant, like he says. Do his commandments, his ways, his statutes, his ordinances. Do the things that was that that was given through Moses. Didn't start with Moses. Was given through the agent Moses to the people. Do all these things that he instructed you, his instructions. You're going to get this blessing. You're going to get life. He goes on to say, if you choose life, that you and your descendants may live and that you may love the Lord your God, obey him and hold fast to him. Now we see he's connecting these instructions that are the terms of his covenant to the definition of loving God. Didn't Jesus teach something like that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind? Huh. We're going to go into Jesus' teachings here in just a minute. He says, obey him and hold fast to him, for he is your life. And he will prolong your life in the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, that means they were in the same covenant too. Which, what, So did they have different terms in their covenant? Was there a different standard that they should behave and act in their covenant several hundred years before this moment here in Deuteronomy 30, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Did they have a different covenant with different terms? No, they didn't. Genesis 26.5 tells us Abraham kept the commandments of God. Same term, same covenant. So does Jubilees 21. Even in Jubilee 6 tells us Noah all the way back to Adam and Jubilee 4. They all kept the commandments of God and at least as much of them as they knew in their generation. The fullness of God's all-encompassing details, even including the, the pattern of the tabernacle and how the priesthood was supposed to function within that, they got that on Mount Sinai. So they got the full, full, fullness of it, right? Even to the nth detail, whereas love your Lord your God, they're supposed to drink the mind, love your neighbor yourself, obey your parents, don't kill people, you know, that kind of stuff. The, the huge over-encompassing uh, uh, even in, even with the priesthood, like Jubilees twenty one talks about being passed down uh, from Abraham to other to Abraham to uh, down to Isaac and Jacob, like they all understood how to walk in covenant with Yahweh. It's it's the same behavior consistently, guys. That's why we refer to it on this channel as the Eternal Torah. So we go here to what did Jesus actually teach? 
remember this remember this is the the law of christ idea that people try to use this term out of context not defining what the term is not realizing it just means the instruction of christ but when galatians 6 2 one of those specific instructions is being repeated from the old testament from deuteronomy which is to bear with one another in their burdens this is part of leviticus 19 as well that you would love your neighbor and bear in his burdens i think it's leviticus 19 um 17 i think uh, and then first corinthians 9 19 through 22 where paul's just trying to express some of his evangelism tactics he goes in to say and i become like this person or this person like that person or that person but i'm not outside the law of god and by the way i'm under the instruction of yeshua my messiah his whom he's discipling after, right? This whole idea. This is why he tells you in Ephesians, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? Because <laughs> Yeshua does the instructions of the covenant. He did them perfectly. That's how he's without sin. So but let's look at the actual Greek of the word nomos, this idea of the law, this word law that's being used so often in the New Testament. And there's different applications for it. There really are. In its most basic ideas is that which is assigned, hence usage. What did Jesus assign for his disciples to do? It's really very simple. He just assigned them to do the commandments of God. We're going to go over those passages in just a minute. But look at this. If you go into a deeper dive study in the helps word studies, uh, you know, outside of the general concordance definition of nomos, I got highlighted on the right-hand side of the screen here. It says that nomos, which is the word law, can refer to the law or just law, meaning a general principle. And sometimes it can refer to them both simultaneously. Guys, Greek is not is not uh, hard and fast. Greek is like very, very malleable. Depends on the context. It says this particular sense of uh, Strong's 3551 of nomos is determined by the context. This is the, this is, you know, even the guys that are writing the concordances and lexicons to help you with understanding these translated words are telling you this word, you have to understand the context of how it's used. Paul tells you, I'm not outside the instruction of God. I'm under instruction of Yeshua. He's synonymously linking the instruction of Yeshua with the instructions of God. It's very simple. Really, really very simple. Matthew 3, 13 through 15. What did Yeshua preach? What is the instructions of the Messiah? What is the law of Christ? What is the instructions of Messiah? Matthew 3, 13 through 15. At that time, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus said, Let it re let it be now. Excuse me, let it be so now. It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness in this way. And then John permitted him, meaning then John went ahead and baptized him. What does it mean that he's trying to fulfill all righteousness? What does this word righteousness mean? Well, Deuteronomy 6, 24 and 25 gives us a wonderful working definition of righteousness. So in the same book where Yahweh is defining the terms of his covenant, which are his commandments, his ways, he says, if you do these, you'll be called righteous. He says in Jeremiah 6, 24 and 25, the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, that we may have always prosperous always be prosperous and preserved as we are to this day. If we're careful to obey every one of these commandments before the Lord, our God, as he has commanded us, then that will be our righteousness. It's really very simple that you do what he instructs, which is his behavior. It's good behavior. It gives you life and peace. It doesn't bring you death and disaster. 
if you do the behavior of the covenant, which is the behavior of Yahweh, which is the behavior all of the prophets preached and did, and the behavior that Yeshua preaches, that will be defined for you as righteous. Matthew 4, 3 through 4. The tempter came to Yeshua and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered, It's written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word or just some words? Should Is Jesus telling... I mean, this is Jesus talking to the enemy, right? To the tempter. I would say it's Azazel. Is Jesus really telling him that he should be, he should actually uh, live by words, every single word that comes from the mouth of God? But I thought we were in a new covenant. We only did the, the instructions of Jesus I, I, in, in the New Testament and Paul. And I thought, I thought, wait a minute. Why wouldn't he say, only do what I say or only do the stuff that's about to be written in the next 40, 50 years? by my disciples. He didn't say any of that stuff because he constantly preached the law and the prophets. It's consistent behavior. It's the consistent terms of the covenant. They're called eternal. We're going to get to those verses. They're never going away. Even to the enemy, Yeshua, the son of God, the word made flesh, whose doctrine is not his own, tells the enemy, no, we're supposed to do every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Where's he even getting this statement, guys? Do you realize he's pulling the statement from Deuteronomy chapter 8? Two and three says, remember that these 40 years, the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart. He humbled you and in your hunger, he gave you manna to eat, which neither you nor your fathers had known so that you might understand that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh, of the Lord, of God. If For those of you out there that passionate about Yahuwah. Okay. Yahuwah. So look, it, this is the same instruction. He's literally quoting Deuteronomy 8. He's not making up new doctrine. He's literally quoting the quote unquote law of Moses, which is not Moses's possession. It's just the, the message passed on from Moses from Yahweh through angels. This is what Acts chapter 753 talks about. Galatia, uh, Hebrews 2.1, Galatians 3.19, the law was mediated on Sinai to Moses by angels. Those angels didn't create the message. They got that information from Yahweh. They were sent by Yahweh to give the message to, to Moses. He Moses then passed on the message to all the people to, to teach them lovingly good things. This is the terms of the covenant. You want to be in faith and walk with God? This is how you do it. This is the terms of the covenant. It's really that simple. It's only modern traditions that have made this semantics and have made this weird supersessionism dispensational replacement theology nonsense it's only modern traditions that have done that just like the traditions of men during the days of yeshua were confusing everybody and yeshua comes along teaching actually the law and the prophets and what they said and they were amazed oh my gosh who's this guy with such wisdom like yeah, this is this. Jesus sitting there saying like yeah, this is the stuff that's in the it been in these scrolls like they're these are the the law and the prophets of our ancestors. This is, this is the same words of the covenant that everyone's been talking about since since Adam. Like why are you you know? But because that generation was so confused by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it seemed like brilliant new information to them. This is why they were quickly believing in Yeshua and the Sadducees and Pharisees conspired to kill him as fast as possible. We see that same mentality. In our culture today and guys do like this is me a crazy statement but you know do not for one second think that if 
murder were allowed, if killing someone for different theology were allowed in the United States, that there weren't sects out there that would try it like the Pharisees did. I've run into some of the most hateful people in the world who want to claim that, you know, all you got to do is believe in Jesus and you don't have to do anything in the Old Testament. And I'm sitting there going, guys, Jesus preached the Old Testament. He embodied the Old Testament. That is his behavior. How can I live like Jesus? How can I disciple after him and call my Messiah if I'm not doing his behavior? But these, you know, these people immediately from me saying that statement want to call me a heretic, a cult leader. They want to, you know, tell me I'm not of the faith. I promise you that is the same slander. This is why Leviticus 19 associates slander with murder. Because if they can rep misrepresent you because of their misunderstanding, there is murderous intent in these people's hearts. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to carry through with it, but this I'm just saying this in the in Yeshua's day, legally, they could carry through with it. The Romans allowed that because of what the Pharisees were trying to do. So that's that's why we have Yeshua crucified. There's a disagreement in theology. And I don't want to be on the bad guy's side. I don't want to be on the side of the people that, that murdered my Messiah. Um, hopefully everyone's doing okay in the chat. Appreciate everybody being here. We got a few more slides. We'll be done. We'll take some questions and I'll let people call in if they want to and talk to me live. If you disagree, that's fine, guys. We'll just go over the scriptures and talk about it. Matthew 5, 6 through 12, Yeshua goes on to say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecute, who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. So I highlighted all these things. Obviously, it's a famous passage from Matthew 5. Many people know it. Some people have it memorized. And I highlighted these particular parts here because since we already have now a working definition for what the word righteousness is and what goodness is and what purity is, which is the terms of the covenant, the behavior of Yahweh, suddenly you should, we see Yeshua preaching that everywhere. We just had to get our definitions right first. That's what we see. Are you hungering and thirsting for right behavior? What's the behavior of the Messiah, which is the behavior of his father, Yahweh? It's the same behavior. Do we want to be pure in heart so that we can see God? All right, well, that's the same behavior. It's the behavior of the terms of the covenant. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called sons of God. Well, that's, that's all over the place in the Law and the Prophets. All over the place. Blessed are those who persecuted because of righteousness. There's the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Remember in, in uh, number 16, Korah strikes up a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. That's persecuting. Moses and Aaron were trying to stick to the covenant, the terms of the covenant, as appointed leaders by Yahweh to teach people what's right and what's wrong in the terms of the covenant. And a rebellion sprung up, people that wanted to take them out of leadership and take the people back to Egypt, which was 100% against everything Yahweh instructed. Moses and Aaron being persecuted for righteousness. For doing the instructions of the Father. And rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. So that's why, you know, all these prophets were killed from the rebellious Israelites who left the terms of the covenant and started worshiping the bells. So I know that we, I'll just go on. I'm not going to go there. Luke 14, 7 through 11, Jesus goes to say, when Jesus noticed how the guests chose the place of honor, he told them a parable. 
When you're invited to a wedding banquet, don't sit in the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited. Then the host who invited both of you will come and tell you, give your, give this man your seat. And in humiliation, you will have to take the last place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the last place so that your host will come and tell you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you'll be honored in front of everyone at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Where is Jesus teaching from? Is Jesus making this up? Is he just inventing new theology, new teachings, new laws of Christ? Is he just making up new instructions of Christ? Nope. He's teaching from the law and the prophets. He's teaching from Proverbs. 25, 6, and 7. Don't exalt yourself in the presence of the king. Do not stand in the place of great men, for it's better that he says to you, come up here, than that you should be demoted in the presence of the prince. You know, it's funny, in actual practicality, this this passage uh, played out in a very severe way with Absalom taking David's wives on the rooftop. He then got demoted in the presence of the princes later because he exalted himself, tried to take over the throne. Also, at the end of Luke 14 and verse 11, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. That's also from Proverbs 29. In John chapter 5, what else is Jesus teaching, right? What is the instructions of Christ? What is the law of Christ? What is his instructions if he's teaching? If we're going to abide by that, if Paul's abiding in that, all right, well, what is that? Let's look at it. John chapter 5, 25 through 28, truly, truly, I tell you, the hour is coming and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted the Son to have life in himself and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this for the hour. By the way, that's a term they would be familiar with because of Enoch. So something to consider. Do not be amazed at this for the hour is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. That means to be thrown to the lake of fire. So what does it mean to do good? Well, in Ezekiel 18 and 9, it actually tells us he follows my statues and faithfully keeps my ordinances. That man is righteous. Surely he will live. And that, of course, is referring to the resurrection, which is what Yeshua just talked about, right? There's coming a time. And this is why all judgments are given to the Son. He was the anointed one, like I said at the beginning, 20 minutes ago. Moses wasn't given the power to raise people from the dead. Moses wasn't given the power of priesthood in the heavenly realms to mediate to the Father on our behalf. Neither was Aaron. Neither was Pick someone, Phineas, neither was Jehu, neither was anybody, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Isaiah, none of those guys, none of them were given that same promise of authority. Only the son of man, only the sent son of Yahweh was to step into this place of the ultimate high priest over all of heaven and earth. It's in a position of authority ship. It's a position of rulership that you can now like he says in Matthew 20, 19, has all authority in heaven and earth. That's why Hebrews 4, 14, he sends through the layers of the firmament, through the heavens, to minister in the heavenly tabernacle and in the presence of the Father. This is an extremely honored, glorified position that was granted to Yeshua because of his obedience, as Hebrews 5, 6 through 10 expresses to us. So when he has now the power to resurrect people to eternal life, he judges them based off of them doing good, as he just tells us in John 5, 28. What does it mean to do good? It's to him who follows Yahweh's statutes. That's his judgments, his decisions, his behaviors, and his ordinances, right? Same concept. That man is righteous. So we now have two consistent definitions of what it means to be righteous from the Old Testament. Isn't that beautiful? This is why in Romans chapter 10, um, verses 3 and 4, 
Paul is trying to juxtapose the idea of a righteousness that comes from the law of Moses versus the righteousness we receive at the resurrection through Yeshua. And that is, you know, we get this eternal right behavior where we never fail, we never sin again. Right now, we practice the righteousness of expressed through the law and the prophets, the same right behavior taught by Yeshua. We practice that, knowing that we're going to fail. That's First John 1, 8, right? He who says without sin is a liar. We're going to mess up from time to time. We're still in these corrupted bodies. This is the promise of the resurrection. We get to a place where we have his law written on our heart. We now have eternal right behavior, eternal righteousness. This is the difference in the righteousness we receive by faith in Christ at the resurrection versus the righteousness, the good right behavior that we can practice now while we're still in this mortal life in the body. John 17, 14 through 19, about halfway through the feast, Jesus went up to the temple courts and began to teach. So now we're it's literally telling us Jesus is about to teach. We're going to get some law of Christ right here, guys, right here. He goes on to say the Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man attain such learning without having studied? My teaching is not my own, Jesus replied. Oh, really? So, so wait, he's okay. So whose is it? Where is he getting his words? Where is he getting his laws of Christ? Are they his own? It comes from him who sent me. Oh, that's the father. But didn't the father already tell us what he thinks and wants out of the terms of the covenant? What are his instructions already were? He told Israel for thousands of years through his prophets. If anyone desires to do his will, he will know whether my teaching is from God or whether I speak of my own. He who speaks, that's why. Why would you know that? Because you could cross-reference. Guys, you could hear what Yeshua says and you could go to the scrolls of the law and the prophets. You can cross-reference. It's the exact same thing. We can do that today. So that's what he, this is not a cryptic statement here. If anyone desires to do his will, the will of whom? The will of him who sent Yeshua, the will of the Father, the will of God. If you desire to do God's will, he will know whether my teaching is from God or whether I speak on my own. Why? Because if you desire to do God's will, that means you're going to learn it. That means you're going to already know the instructions of the terms of the covenant from the law and the prophets. So therefore, when you hear Yeshua speak, you're going to recognize, oh, I've heard that before. That's from the law and the prophets. He is, he is expounding upon the law and the prophets. He is reinforcing what they taught, which are the terms of the covenant. It's the same message. There's not two messages. It's the same message consistently. And yes, the resurrection was promised way back then. That's why in Leviticus 18.5 and Ezekiel 18.9, he says, if you do these instructions, you will live. This is what Yeshua is expounding upon. He says, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. In him, there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the instruction? Yet none of you keep it. <laughs> He's talking to the Pharisees, right? The Jews who were amazed. He's right here telling you that the Jews are not doing the law of Moses, the quote unquote law of Moses, which is not the law of Moses. Look how Jesus phrases it. Has, has, has not Moses given you the instruction? Moses didn't originate anything. He didn't author anything. He didn't invent anything. He's just a conduit. He just passed on the Father's message, the Father's instructions. And here we have Yeshua exposing the Pharisees for not keeping it. Isaiah chapter 8, 19 through 20, whether men tell you to consult the spirits of the dead and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, shouldn't a people consult their God instead? This is Isaiah addressing the rebellious Israel at the time and how they were worshiping false gods, de dealing with spiritist mediums and necromancers. He then goes on to say, why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Right? He's calling them out for their anti-Deuteronomy 13 and 18 behavior. He then goes on to say, to the law and to the testimony. He's, he's basically saying, why, why are you doing all this bad behavior? Look to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak to this word, they have no light in them. He's given them the litmus test 
Isaiah is giving those who are listening to him the litmus test to evaluate the leaders that were leading them off into uh, idolatry to Baals versus what the terms of the covenant through Yahweh was established in their society. They had the scrolls of the of the book of the law that they could go and reference right sound teaching. And, and, and Isaiah is trying to encourage them, look, here's the standards by the law. Look to the law and the testimony. You can evaluate the difference of behavior here versus why are you consulting the spirits and mediums? Why are you consulting the dead on behalf of the living? Look to the law and the testimony. And then he goes on to say, look, if these people who are trying to consult you and sway you into idolatry, if they are not speaking according to the, that word, the law and the testimony, they have no light in them. Has that possibly changed? How could the law of Christ, how could the instruction of Yeshua which he said was not his own, which is his father's, somehow be different than what Isaiah is telling the people. Look, if people speak anything contrary to the law and the testimony, they don't have any light in them. But we're told in John 1 that Yeshua is the light of the world. Okay. Seems pretty simple to me. Yeshua is teaching his father's law. Moses doesn't get to claim ownership. Judaism doesn't get to claim ownership of Yahweh's law for Moses. And any Protestant believer that runs around and adopts that mentality and that misunderstanding and continues to perpetuate that, you know, let's lovingly put our arm around them and say, let's, let's take a deeper look at the scriptures because you don't have it right at all. Like you're just spreading falsehoods. So let's, let's take a deeper look at the scriptures. Let's do it in love. Let's be gentle and try to, but this is the idea. Like if you, if you're teaching, if you have light in them, then you want to be teaching according to the law and testament, just like Yeshua did, just like Paul did everywhere he goes, James, Peter, John, all these guys are teaching according to the law and testament. That's why they're constantly quoting it in their letters. So Matthew 19, 16 and 17, more of what Yeshua teaches, more of this law of Christ. Just then a man came up to Jesus and inquired, teacher, what good thing must I do to obtain eternal life? Wait a minute. What doesn't the way we've already talked about this. Does, like that's already explained Leviticus 18. That's Deuteronomy 30. That's that's already been explained to us. Actually, back even in Genesis 17. Um, but we also talk about in Ezekiel 18, verse 9. Like what it's everywhere in the old testament. Why is this guy asking this? And Yeshua responds, What do you ask me about what is good? What do we read? Remember in Deuteronomy when Yahweh says, I'm trying to give you these good instructions, brought you out in the wilderness to test you to see what's in your heart, whether you keep these commandments or not. Like, okay, so here's a guy that comes up and says, Hey, teacher, what do I got to, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is like, What do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. It's almost like he's, you know, he's, it's almost like he's having this, uh, he's going through the motions, if you will. Now, hey, there's more to this conversation, and he can, he goes on to expound even further into Deuteronomy to, to tell this guy to keep the commandments in a different way, a more specific way. This is the generalogy, general opening statement in their conversation, the opening exchange where he's speaking in generalities. He's like, all right, why do you ask me what's good? As long as one is good. If you want to keep, if you want an eternal life, keep the commandments. It's that simple. So the law of Christ teaches you guys that if you want eternal life, the resurrection, the John 3, 16 moment, then you need to keep the commandments. It's right here, Matthew 19, 16 and 17. I've went over it before my channel, but I feel like this is something that has to be repeated. So it needs to be repeated. I hope I, you know, it's like one of those deals where, I see I see so many people running around social media trying to address this question of, well, is the law of Moses different from the law of Christ? And I'm sitting there going, guys, the instruction of Yeshua, the law of Christ, the teachings of Jesus is right here. 
He says, if you want eternal life, keep the commandments. It's really, 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 really that simple. Because he's repeating the Old Testament. He's repeating the Law and the Prophets. Dispensation theology is literally a doctrine of demons. Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter into through the gates into the city. That sounds amazing. Isn't that happen after you get the eternal life? You get to go eat of the tree of life and inside the new Jerusalem. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. Interesting, huh? And people, will, I've heard people say, well, this is Jesus. This, this is Jesus talking. Oh, is it really? Look at Revelation 1.1. 1, 1. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. What did Jesus already tell us in John 7? His teaching is not his own. He hears and does what the Father says. The Father tells Jesus to give an, a message to an angel and have it relayed to John on the island of Patmos, Revelation 1.1. 1, 1. That means the instruction of Revelation 22.14 is coming from the Father. Now the Father is telling you, I mean, come on, guys, the Father, not just the law of Christ, not just the instructions of Yeshua, the Father himself, the creator of heaven and earth, is telling you, if you want to eat of the tree of life in the new Jerusalem, keep the commandments. It's really that simple. It's only modern twistianity that has truly convoluted this. It's really, really, really that simple, guys. It's the pride of men who've convoluted this. It's the fear of men from whom taught them bad theology that ignores statements like this. And I apologize if I'm being strong or if you think I'm being strong. Guys, this is this is the most fundamental idea of all of Scripture. God says, look, I want to have a relationship with you. Here's how I do that. We do it through a covenant, and here's the terms of the covenant. You just emulate my behavior. You're going to fail, and that's why I gave you a priesthood. I know you're going to fail. It's okay. I'm merciful. But along the way, you're going to learn something. You're going to learn good behavior. You're going to learn and grow. Father disciplines the son he loves. But, but how do you discipline a son he loves? You have to give them good instructions so they get better. We have that through the commandments. Psalm 119, 65 through 70. You are good to your servants. Oh, who's good? There's only one who's good, Yeshua says. That's the Father. Who, who You are good to your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. This is the psalmist pleading with the creator of heaven and earth. Teach me your behavior. I see you being good to me. It's, what is this goodness, right? It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. What are we seeing here? Teach me good judgment and knowledge. That's repentance, guys. For I believe in your commandments. Faith is faith. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. That's rebellion. This guy, he, this is a prayer of repentance. But now I keep your word. You are good and you do what is good. Teach me your statutes. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are hard and callous, but I delight in your law. So now we've got an antithesis to repentance equals doing the good behavior of the Father, his commandments and statutes. Going astray is the opposite of the commandments. Having a hard and calloused heart is the opposite of delighting in his instruction, his law, his terms of the covenant. Romans 8, 7-8, Paul expounds on this idea, expressing that the mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the flesh cannot please God. 
to me, guys, this is, you know, I think many of you have seen some of my debates and you've seen me go and express this to people and I'll read this. I'll read it slowly. I'll read it quickly. It doesn't matter. I'll read this to them multiple times and it just goes right over their head because they've been taught to reinterpret this the moment they read it. But it's very simple. If you're in the flesh, you're not doing the law of God. If you're doing the law of God, it's not Moses's law. We got to get that word out of our brain. He, Moses does not have ownership to this concept. It's the father's instructions in these terms of covenant. If we're not doing those instructions, that those terms of covenant, his precepts, statutes, and commandments, if we're not doing his behavior, which is what Psalm 119.3 calls it, if we're not doing that, we're not, we're not pleasing God, and we're being hostile to him. So that's where Paul's trying to explain. You're in the flesh at that point if you're not doing it. So what does that mean? It means you're in the spirit if you're doing his behavior, if you're doing the law of God. Whoa, that's crazy, right? How wonderful is that? Psalm 119, 142, 144. Uh, Chase, thank you for the super chat, brother. Don't apologize for speaking the truth. We're here for the truth. Keep up the good work. Sorry for your reading, sir. Yeah, I appreciate it, brother. I do. Um, yeah, guys, I'm going to put the link up here to call in here in just a few minutes. I got just a few more scriptures and we'll be done. And you guys can ask any questions. Just remember to put them in all capitalization and, um, and you can call the link, the link if you want to be on live. Psalm 119, 142 through 144, your righteousness, speaking of the creator in heaven and earth, speaking of the father, your righteousness is everlasting. Okay. That means it doesn't go away. You, what did, we got the terminology. We got the definition for righteousness. What does it mean? It's people that do the behavior of the father. So that means the father is righteousness. And the psalmist is saying it's not going away. He also says your law is true. I thought Yeshua said he was the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. So that means he was abiding by the Father's behavior, the Father's instructions, the Father's law. Trouble and distress have found me, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I might live. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Does that say your testimonies are righteous until the Son of Man shows up and creates a new law? Nope. Give me understanding that I may live. That's speaking of the resurrection again, Ezekiel 18.9, Leviticus 18.5. It's it's everywhere, guys. This they all the resurrection is assumed everywhere in the terms of the covenant in the Old Testament and New Testament. It is the promise that the Messiah makes possible through his priesthood, that the Father intended for mortal mankind to have an eternal body, to be able to live forever. Hebrews 13, 7 through 8. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Oh, is he even talking about Jesus in this moment? No. Remember the leaders who spoke the word of God to you. The writer of Hebrews in the days of approximately AD 65, they didn't have the New Testament like we do today, guys. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and all the epistle letters. Paul was still out there on his journeys making converts and writing his letters. John hasn't even written Revelation yet. Some people would say that James hasn't written his letter yet. Guys, this is... <laughs> they all taught people from the Law and the Prophets, just like Yeshua did. They didn't have a New Testament to flip to Philippians or to flip to Galatians and take things out of context in Galatians 6. They didn't have that back then. They were teaching people from the Law of God, from the Law and the Prophets, from the consistent instructions of the terms of the covenant that were called righteousness. They were teaching people from those behaviors. So this is why we have this guy in Hebrews 13 saying, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. It means they read the 
quote unquote law of Moses. They read the actual law of the prophets. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Oh, that means they must have been blessed because they were doing it. Just like Deuteronomy promised us in Jeremy 8, Jeremy 30, both. Right? Just like Exodus 19, the Father promises, I'll make you a royal nation. I'll bless you if you'll do these terms of my covenant. In Exodus 19, Exodus 24, Exodus 34. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Yeshua showed up to the earth, born of a woman, lived his life without sin, as Hebrews tells us, earned his position as high priest after his resurrection to minister on our behalf to the Father in the heavenly tabernacle. Do we think that he's doing some different behavior up there that he did while he was walking on the earth? He tells us he only does what his father told him. His doctrine, his teaching was not his own. Do the commandments if you want eternal life. He got the eternal life. That means he did the commandments. So he's in heaven now, ministering on our behalf, literally doing the law of God in a priestly capacity, in a temple actually, so that you can have atonement for your sins and later you'll have resurrection for your, 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 um, for your new immortal body. He's not, this verse tells us he's that the same behavior. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. So that means right now in heaven, he's doing the same behavior he did on the earth. And before he came to the earth, he was doing the same behavior in heaven. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which that means it's the law of God, the behavior of God, the precepts, the commandments, the statutes. It's the same thing. It's the terms of the covenant. It is walking in the ways of the creator. It is what we are to learn how to do. Moses doesn't get to distract us with the terminology of these Jews who disbelieve Jesus claiming they have the law of Moses. We don't throw away those distractions. Let's just look at the consistency of what is the behavior. If anyone that disagrees with me, I challenge you, come tell me something in the New Testament that's inconsistent with the Old. There is nothing in there that's inconsistent that's not already taught in the Old Testament. There's not. It's the same behavior. It's the same covenants. It's the same relationship extended from the Father to mankind. All right, guys, that's all I got on the on there. I'm going to put this banner here at the bottom. So if you want to call in and if you want to talk to me about the topic tonight, if you have any questions, make sure you capitalize them, your whole entire sentence, put it on all capitalization and put it in the live chat. Otherwise, you're also welcome to call in if you have any questions. Um, oh, we got a super chat just came in. Thank you, Kenneth. Kenneth Kretzmeyer, uh, the law is the prescription from the great physician. That's right. The cure from the creator to the fallen creation. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, we we're fallen because we went outside of his behavior. So he's just like constantly trying to remind us to do his behavior again. Uh, James, oh, thank you. Your super chat, brother. James Owen is saying, Sean, you the only true kind of celebrity. <laughs> no, brother. No, we don't want to be celebrities. I understand what you mean. And I bless you for, I appreciate you, bro. But yeah, we're, we're definitely, I want to steer clear of any any uh, classification like that, but I know what you mean, brother. Yeah, thank you, Line Within Us. Just remind everybody, if you have any questions about what we've talked about tonight or any verses you'd like me to address, or please post it in all caps, and that way we can clearly see uh, your question and don't miss it. All right, so Pete Holmes is asking about Ephesians 2. So let me uh, pull up Ephesians 2, and I'll put it on screen for us to read together. And I'm thinking he's asking about verse 15. 
Oh, that's right. This is a fun one. Okay. So I have to start. Remember, we do context here. We don't do one verse at a time, usually, if we have time to address something. Let's look at the context of what Paul's trying to express to the Ephesians who were, you know, part of his converts in Asia Minor. Verse 11, he says, Therefore, remember that you formerly who were Gentiles in the flesh called uncircumcised by the so-called circumcised. That's the Pharisaical Jews that were running around trying to steal his converts everywhere. They were doing this in Asia Minor too, just like the Galatians. Um, Therefore, remember that you were formerly who are Gentiles in the flesh, right? Basically, I mean, you weren't born through Abraham. So they were referred to culturally as Gentiles from Judea uh, and in the perspective of those who were, quote unquote, Hebrews, Israelites. He says, you were formerly Gentiles in the flesh called uncircumcised by the so-called circumcised. That's done in the body by human hands. But remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were formerly separate from Christ. Now they're converted. So now they're not separate from Christ. He's explaining to them that they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They're no longer alienated from the commonwealth. Now they're grafted in through their faith in Yeshua and their discipleship into the commandments. Strangers to the covenants of the promise, no longer. Now they're not strangers. And without hope and without God in the world, no longer. Now they do have hope. Now they do have God, even though they're in this world. And verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That's an allusion to Isaiah 57, 19. It says in verse 14, for he himself is our peace. He who has made the two one and has torn down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and decrees. Okay, so a lot of people will immediately go, see, look, when he died on the cross, he got rid of the law. There it is right there. There it is. So what have we talked about? What are the definitions of the covenants of promise? What are the terms of the covenants? What did Jesus tell us the terms of the covenants are? Now I'm gonna I'm gonna grant you that you know Paul speaks in some some highbrow ways. He speaks in some very confusing uh, terminology, and I can only imagine how. I wonder with Greek, you know, I wonder if it was easier to read. It wasn't as convoluted, translated from the English. I wonder in the original language if it was a little easier to read. But I grant you, he has some very confusing sounding phrases from time to time. Even Peter admits this. But we already have the definitions for these words. We already know what the covenants are and what being with Christ is, right? If you're faith in Christ, it means you're a disciple of him. You believe in him. And therefore, you're doing his behavior, which was the behavior of the commandments. We understand that being in Israel is being in the covenant of promise. Because you've been grafted in, that means you have to do the commandments of God, the commandments of Yahweh. So he's trying to tell them that, you know, here you are. You're once made, you were once strangers of all this, but now you're brought in. He says, for he himself is our peace, right? That's an allusion to the resurrection. He's made the two one, has torn down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and decrees. So this is why I've always tried to express to people that it's important to understand that the resurrection is the underpinnings of many of what Paul talks about. If you don't understand the old, the under the resurrection from the Old Testament, you're going to miss a lot of what he talks about in Romans, also in Ephesians, Colossians, um, and even in Galatians a little bit. But so this is the idea of he's, this is why he says he him for he himself is our peace. You get peace with God, Ezekiel 36, 24 through uh, 17 through 24, at the resurrection. Right now, you're still 
doing your best to learn his behavior, but then there is hostility created when you sin. So this is the idea of the law and the commandments, right? This is the difference between being quote unquote under the law versus obeying the law for righteousness, right? If you're under the penalty of the law, this is the idea there. So he goes on to say, he did this to create himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. So the one new man is what you get at the resurrection out of the two, which is Yeshua in the flesh, perfect. You in the flesh, not perfect. You in the flesh, me in the flesh, we're corrupted, right? We're not perfect. We do our best to be better, but we make mistakes. Yeshua was perfect. So he, therefore, is going to make him, but with him and his resurrection, granting and putting him into the place of being able to be in this high priest position, have the authority to raise you to perfection, which means the law of God will be on your heart at the resurrection. Therefore, you have peace with God at that point. This is Ezekiel 37 and 36. This is why he is breaking down that wall of hostility, which is your flesh causing you to be under the penalty that comes with breaking the commandments. It's a great question, brother. And the reason why is because it requires a lot of definitions that we get from the Old Testament. If you don't understand the resurrection, if you don't understand the terms of the covenant, if you don't understand the penalty of the law, I said before your blessing and cursing is life and death. If you don't understand these concepts and you, when Paul is quickly flying through this stuff, making allusions to them, you'll miss it. But that's, he's talking about the resurrection and these concepts. So he goes on to say, he did this to create himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. We, that happens at the resurrection. Yeshua, one man, you, the two man, between what he does for you to give you peace. That's why we refer to him as the Prince of Peace and he is our peace. He's going to give us eternal peace with the Father at the resurrection. We'll get a new body and have his laws written in our heart. We'll never sin again. So therefore, there'll never be any hostility because of the flesh that's corrupted. And reconciling both of them to God and one body through the cross by which he extinguished their hosti hostility. Excuse me, hostility. Yes. What did he do on the cross, guys? We've talked about this in the past. He died. He did. Did something special happen on the cross other than his selfless sacrificial death that led to him being in the heart of the earth three days and then get resurrected? Did the father show up with angels and announce, all right, everything's changed, guys. My son's dead now. He, uh, he went through this suffering on the cross. Everything's changing now. So we're going to change everything. Everything the way I've been doing everything, we're changing it. All the law of prophets before you, everything that I told them was good for you is no longer good for you. Now it's all different. Did anything like that happen at the cross? Nope. Disciples went away crying. Mary went away crying. John Comforter, Nicodemus, and Joseph Arimathea go to collect the body from, from the pilot. They bury him. They go celebrate Shabbat. They come back a few days later. So he's not there. Angels didn't show up. No, no new Mount Sinai moment where some different covenant was established. When Yeshua got out, what did he say? Hey, guys, everything's different now. Different covenant now. Let's go. Let's gather everybody up so I can explain to you how it's all a different covenant now. Nope. He just continued to teach them to express who he was so they can understand what he had to do. He prayed for them. He told them he, was, he had all authority in heaven and earth. And that to go out and spread the message of him. So to a Hebrew who understands the terminology of what does it mean when Yeshua says he has all authority in heaven and earth, they understand he's getting in the priesthood that was promised of him because that's how you get that authority. Ooh. 
Sorry, guys. I had a, had a lot of coughing happening there. Um, all right. Pete, I hope that addresses your question. I hope that's a decent answer for you. <clears throat> Ultimately, what, what Yeshua went through on the cross enabled him to get to his position as priesthood to resurrect you from the dead. Therefore, <clears throat> giving you a new body that does no longer has flesh that creates hostility by breaking the commandments. So, sorry to belabor that, but I know there's, I'm trying to, like I always do, I try to attack it from several angles so that people walk away with a fuller understanding of it. So, hopefully, that's a decent answer for you. All right, guys, <clears throat> excuse me, this water got me all choked up. If you have any questions, and please put them in all capitalization so that we can see them. The moderators and myself can see them because otherwise I don't know if you're talking to me or to someone in the chat. A lot of people are talking to each other in the chat. So therefore, <laughs> Anthony, I appreciate it, man. Unfortunately, the, the, um, this is actually just the dryness, uh, because I live at altitude. So I live in the mountains. So I've had this for two and a half years now. It's just like, a constant, um, a constant dryness that I constantly have to blow my nose and constantly have to, um, provide moisture and in a different variety of ways. So it's super thin air at this altitude, but I appreciate you brother. Okay. It looks like Hannibal has a question. Oh, I'm sorry. Hannibal. One second. Um, Ari Taki, I see your question above his. Yes, brother. Um, can you, all right. I want to, I want to address your question as thoroughly as possible, but brother, there is a ton of information in those two chapters. I'm going to need you to be more specific. Okay. If you could, if you could hone in on a specific question, um, otherwise I've already done four full videos on the entirety of Galatians. And I go over those two chapters in great depth and it's under a specific playlist on my channel. It's called, have you read Galatians? Uh, so if you want to go check that out, I go into great depth on that, but otherwise you're going to have to give me a specific question. I can't just, um, just go into a whole new two hour teaching on those two whole chapters. All right, Hannibal, um, you're asking if the law does not change, why are we not stoning drunkards and cheating spouses to death? Well, as I've been expressing, um, I think you're relaying this question from Ragu, Ragu Dacre. Uh, we've put videos out on this on the past is why we don't stone children. Um, the law of God had a, a governing body attached to it, right? So the, when the Israelites had their own nation, the father set up rulers, elders, priests that were judges over the people that taught them sound doctrine and also mediated disputes and also served judgment when there were, you know, people that were caught in adultery or, or people that were um, uh, becoming, you know, unruly in society, dis disobeying the terms of the covenant, causing a problem. So th this is where certain penalties, some of them capital punishment penalties come involved, like stoning. And that had to be decided upon by an actual judge, uh, usually a priest. So this is why when the Pharisees brought the woman they claim was caught in adultery to Yeshua, first of all, they didn't bring the man with her. They're supposed to bring both. Um, but Yeshua, it's not his job to stone anybody. He was not high priest of those people at that time. Yeshua is a high priest in heaven. The Levites were given the priesthood on the earth. That's explained also in Hebrews and Leviticus and other places. So basically, the Pharisees were trying to trick Yeshua outside of the law of God. They're manipulating the circumstances to get Yeshua to actually break the law of God by trying to impose judgment on this girl when it wasn't Yeshua's place. So therefore, in the modern time, when we try to practice the behavior of the creator, are you appointed as a judge of Israel? No, neither am I. What is told to us in scripture is that 
everyone in faith and belief until the second coming of the Messiah, everyone in faith and belief has been scattered across the face of the earth from everywhere under the heavens, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 4. And before we were gathered, we're still scattered in the lands of our enemies. And we await the day of the Lord when Yeshua returns and regathers us back into the land where there will be Levites reinstituted and there will be the, the royal priesthood that's from the resurrected saints who will be judges over people. And then in that time, during the millennial reign, those laws will apply. But right now, those laws do not apply because we are not our own governing body in a nation dedicated by the Father with priests installed by the Father and ordinated by the Father, like they were back in the day, in, in the days of uh, the Levites. So we're not under any of that contextual circumstances right now. In fact, we're in a different context that the Father already prophesied for us. So therefore, to try to assemble outside of his timing, outside of his instruction, to try to go back to that particular form of governing as if we're an independent nation with our own judges and capital punishment would be outside of his instruction at this point in history and prophecy and eschatology. Hopefully that's a decent answer for you, brother. Prodigal Son is asking a question. What do you think of the Talit prayer shawls as a part of doing Yeshua's behavior? Did Yeshua wear them? Some teachers like Michael Root says that Paul's occupation was making prayer tents or Talits. I'm guessing you're I'm guessing you're relaying Michael Rood's speculative eisegesis that he's claiming that Paul's in First Corinthians 9, his talking of making tents is actually talking about making Talits. Um, I mean, it's clearly, it's a cultural thing. It's not instructed in scripture. It's a Talmudic Judaism thing. Um, if Yeshua wore it, it could have been cultural. A lot of people in even other cultures of that day wore hoodies, um, cause it's just an old school hoodie. Um, it, as, as far as covering your head in a specific way while you read the scriptures, um, it's to me, it's, it was, it was a cultural custom thing. I don't see anything in scripture that tells every believer they have to do that. Um, so I would say that's not instructed for us. Um, if if you guys have ever found a scripture that it plainly, clearly tells you that is instructed for believers, specifically for men to do, that's one thing, but I've never seen it. All right. All right, I'm going to try to answer this, but guys, please put them in all caps. Um, hope it just disappeared. My chat just refreshed and I saw a question, but it disappeared. Uh, okay, Richard, here it is. I found it again. Richard, you're asking, did people baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost before the cross? Well, let's define our terms, okay? What does the word name mean when used in the Greek and the Hebrew in the Old Testament and in the New Testament? What does it mean to be in the name of the Son or in the name of the Father? Or in the name of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? Does it mean you you saying that word? Is that well, is that all it means? That just by you saying Jesus, I'm baptizing you? Is that is that all it means? Because this is a term that we get from the Old Testament. This is talking about authority. This is why Yeshua is given a name above all names. Hebrews chapter one, one through three. He's given a name above all names. He's given authority above all authorities in heaven and earth. This is why, so yes, just to be honest, to, to give you a quick, frank question, yes, 
when they did mikvahs in the Old Testament. So when they bathed ceremonially so they could get ready to come before the Lord in this temple, they're doing that underneath the authority of whomever was the high priest at the time, whom received his authority, his name from the father. Remember, the high priests of Israel were ordained by the father. Just like we see in Leviticus chapter 8 of Aaron and his sons, the high priesthood. They're chosen and ordained by the Father. He's given his seal of approval on those men. So therefore, they have been given authority over the rest of Israel. So if you are learning from Aaron back in the day as he was a high priest, then you are, quote unquote, in his name. You are discipling in the name of Aaron because he was the one in authority over you. But of course, we know that Aaron pointed to the Father, just like Yeshua did. That's why Yeshua says that he was given all authority in heaven and earth from the Father. He didn't give it to himself. He didn't originate that authority from himself. This is why in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us in verse 24 and 25 that once all things are complete, he's going to turn that authority back over to the Father so God can be all in all. See how it works? It's about authority structure. That's why for they would baptize, they would wash people to prepare them to come before the Lord with repentance, both in heart and outward body in the Old Testament under the authority of Yahweh in whomever the name of the high priest was at that time. That's how that, that's where that terminology comes from, brother. I hope that's helped to you. Yeah, thanks, Jeremiah 15, 16. We've, we've tried that. It just, uh, it does not work. It does not work. I used to have one on my desk next to me. Nobody noticed it, but it just does not work. I can't just have one like literally right under my face. I would if I could, but I can't. Um, let me see here. <clears throat> Please put your questions in all caps so that I can see them easily and clearly. Um, Crispy Bacon is asking, where are the Levites now? Well, they're spread out all over the world, like I was just explaining with the dispersion. So this is, you know, we're this is why in Isaiah 66, the father's gonna rechoose them, if you will. And I'll show you when he return when Yeshua returns in the authority of the Father, that's the Messiah's role. He is going to choose new Levites who will minister to the mortals outside the New Jerusalem. And this is where we see this spoken of in Isaiah 66. He goes on to say, I will establish a sign among them. I will send survivors from among them to the nations. These are survivors of the day of the Lord. They're going to go out to Tarshish, put and the archers of Lud to, J to Tubal and Javan and the islands far away who have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations, and they will bring all your brothers from all the nations as a gift of the Lord on horses and chariots and wagons and mules and camels to my holy mountain, Jerusalem. That's the new Jerusalem that comes down out of the heaven through the firmament. Says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring an offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord, I will select some of them as priests and Levites, says the Lord. So this is where he's going to regather and reinstitute the Levitical priesthood on the earth, generally arraigned, to minister to the the mortals who've not been resurrected, those who are shown mercy are called sheep in the Matthew 25 sheep and goat judgments who survived the day of the Lord and the Yeshua, the judge deemed them as worthy to be spared and repopulate the earth for millennial reign. They're going to have a priest over him and that will be the Levites chosen from among them. Inside the new Jerusalem will be the glorified re resurrected saints um, in our own type of priesthood. We'll have more authority over everyone outside the city. <laughs> uh, 
Joshua, I, I apologize. I'm, I'm saying your, I think I'm saying your name wrong. I do not see your original question. I see this statement. So please just try to retype it again. I, as I've said in, in previous broadcasts, the software I have, the chat only refreshes so far back in the history of the broadcast. So I can only see so many comments at a time. Just repeat your question. I'll try to see it. Please put it in all caps. All right. Jason for Christ is asking, can you give a quick explanation of James 2, verse 10? Let's go there real quick. All right, guys, let's look at all of it. Well, I can't look at all of it, but let's, you know, let's look at some surrounding context if we can. Verse 8, it says, if you really fulfill the royal law stated in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. It looks like James is teaching the law. Whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, don't murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Okay. So I'll keep reading another few verses, but to me, that, that gives me the explanation I would need in that moment right there. Verse 12 says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. For judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Remember, I said that earlier about Matthew 5, uh, those who are merciful right? That's a part of what the Beatitudes that Yeshua was teaching is from the Torah. Same thing as James in chapter 2, verse 13 is expressing that um, showing mercy to people is a part of the law of God. And that is what brings freedom. So verse 10, 11, kind of the crux of your question. A lot of people use this. And even though they, the statement in itself is, is means what it means and it says what it says and it's correct. How people use this is where it's taken out of context, right? As they'll use it to support the idea that no one could ever keep the law. And I'm like, really? That doesn't make any sense to the rest of what James says in verses 20 through 24. So a lot of people say, well, you can't keep the law of God because if you stumble at just one point, you're guilty to breaking all of it. Okay, that's fine. I mean, and Paul, even in Romans 6, says he didn't know what coveting was until he, until he understood it from the law. So therefore, if you just as he expounds upon his statement in verse eleven, James and two in James two eleven says, you know, we have two laws: don't murder and don't commit adultery. If you if you did not commit adultery but you murdered people, you're still breaking the law. So he's talking about the law in a general sense, a big large sense, right? This is why First John chapter one verse eight says that he who says without sin is a liar, because we've all transgressed the law, we've all broken it at some point. In some degree, we may not have all murdered or may not have all committed adultery. Those two severe examples that James gives. But yes, we've coveted, we've lied, you know, whatever. We've had a haughty look. We've, you know, just the different things. We've not kept the Sabbath. Like there's there's so many places where we've broken the law. So the point is, it's like he's James is trying to tell you, he goes on in the further context to express that, you know, look, you got to show your faith by your actions. You know what I'm saying? It's not enough just to say that you believe. So for anyone that tries to use uh, James 2.10 to say, oh, well, how could you say that that we're supposed to do the law of God if, as disciples of Christ, even though Christ taught that? How could you say that when James says, if you break one part of the law, you've broken it all? Well, so what? Of course, you've broken the law. Yes, you've broken the standard of behavior in some capacity. 
if you've broken one part of it, yeah, you it's like you've broken all of it, right? Ezekiel chapter 18, the soul who sins will die. This is why Hebrews 9.26 is the point of man wants to die and then the judgment. We're all, in this mortal body, we've all broken the law. We're going to, this is why Yeshua was so special. He did not. He was without sin. But in our mortal lives, every other person in the world that's ever existed, born of a woman, even Adam, born of the dirt, we've all sinned and die in the physical body. And then we either will be raised to eternal life, like I read in John chapter 5, or we'll be raised to eternal judgment. Right? So there's the idea that, you know, yeah, you're going to break all the law in some way or the other. This is why anyone that claims you without sin is a liar. But that doesn't mean that you can't continue to practice it. That's why we have a priesthood in play with Yeshua. So we confess our sins, he cleanses the fallen righteousness, and we keep going. We keep practicing. That's why Yeshua tells us, he who endures to the end will be saved. He who endures to the end will be resurrected. This is why we have to continue. Not to be like the demons who believe that God exists and doesn't have any deeds to back up their faith. We believe and we show that belief by practicing the behavior of God that's outlined for us in his instructions. Knowing that, yeah, we were going to break part of it. We've broken all of it. When we stand before judgment, thankfully, we have a merciful judge in Yeshua who judges based off our deeds, every word and deed. And if, we're, and if we are trying to do the deeds that he discipled into us, which is to do the behavior of the creator, which is the instructions, the terms of the covenant, well, then we have a great chance of him judging us righteously. We can be assured in our salvation because we are doing the behavior of Yeshua and the Father. This is the beautiful part of it. Right. Beautiful part of his priesthood. Again, James, it's a, it's a Jason. It's a great question, and I think what a lot of people skip over in trying to process some of these statements from Paul or even James is they forget about the priesthood of Yeshua that's actively working for them right now, knowing that you're going to sin until you get to your resurrected body. So hopefully that's a decent answer for you, brother. Looks like we have a live caller coming in. It's Jonathan. What's up, brother? Hey, how you doing? Good. Good. How Good. You, are you uh, in the in the United States? No, I am in Canada, British Columbia, uh, Prince George. Oh, yeah, man, I was going to say, you must be far west because it's still daylight. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, up north, too, we're pretty high up. We're midway up BC, British Columbia. Half, yeah. Halfway between Washington and uh, Alaska, kind of deal. Oh, so you're in the beautiful part of the country. I am in the most beautiful spot. It's called country. <laughs> nice. Nice, yeah. brother. Hey, yeah. thanks for calling in. Did you have a question? Yeah, um, so one of the things, as I'm studying the New Testament, I'm always looking into the Strong's number in the Greek and Hebrew. And when I look at, um, when I look in the New Testament, and I'm looking at the Greek, but also looking at the Hebrew meanings, a lot of people tell me that um, you can't use the Hebrew for the New Testament. Is that true? Or when I'm looking at certain words, I see that I find a word for in the Hebrew that has a definition. Uh, so people are trying to tell you that if you looked up a word in say like Romans in yeah. the Greek, that you can't find the equivalent word in Hebrew. Yeah. Is that so like, what, what, what is the purpose of you trying to find the equivalent word anyway? Well, just, just for instance, I was looking up, uh, was it Re uh, the first horse revelation six, two, and that word bow in the Greek means toxon, which we get our word toxin, right? And then, and then in the Hebrew, it says the word means to stay home and prepare. Okay. Okay. So, like, people are saying, well, you can't use the Hebrew. Like, but yeah, I see it. it there's only one definition for that word in Hebrew, and it, there's a strong number for it is 50, 51, 15. Yeah. 
So, to be honest with you, brother, I'm not a language expert. I'm not, I'm no, not an actual, I don't profess to be a linguist am in, I. in Hebrew or Greek. I do my best with the concordances. I, I learned a tad bit of Hebrew in the past um, to be able to, to base, do basic reading of, of the characters. And I, I couldn't definitely would never sign up for a translator. But the point is I, I guess I would have to understand the, the, the futuring intent of trying what? to cross over using a, a language that the manuscript was not written in. Well, a lot of people like I hear a lot of people say, well, um, you know, revelation could have been written in Hebrew because it was John or, you know, Matthew Hebrew and stuff like that. Um, I'm just wondering if that's if, just for more, for more clarity, like if, you know, going through different times or looking at different things and if there's a definition in the Greek, but then there's also a definition in the Hebrew, like, can we use that? I don't like, I just, I just, everybody tells me, oh, you can't do that. But yet I see words found for that, for that. So that's all I'm wondering. I sure. Guess. Now I've talked about this in the past where um, like in Hebrews 10, the word for completes in the Hebrew and in the Greek means the same thing. Yes, and this is translated loosely in the in the English as perfect, and we have our own associated idea of what that word means, which yes. is not what both the Hebrew and the Greek agree that word means, uh, both in the Old Testament usage of it and in the Hebrews usage of it. So, I understand what you're trying to get at. I just think it would depend on the context of, like I said earlier, he, uh, Greek is a very malleable um, language with some, yeah, especially with that, these pronouns. I heard that. that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, the context is very important. Um, from yeah. my study. And so I guess I would just be wary uh, of making sure that the surrounding context makes sense with finding the equivalent Hebrew word, right? Because, you know, you can, you can have a word that, that means like in any language, you can have a word that means something, but it's used in various ways according to the context, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know yeah, I'm, I'm not giving you the best answer. I apologize. <laughs> no, but it's fine. I just, like you know, it sounds like very case revelation specific. and you know everything that's going on these days. Like Canada's having a hard time right now, right? Like we're sure you know, we had like four or five pastors gone in jail already. We're just trying to keep their yeah. churches open. Like I've heard about it's, it. It's it's we you know we have protests. We have we have to have to have a church or you know congregation. We have to have, say it's a protest <laughs> to even meet together. Not allow more than five people at a time together, uh, and not even in a building outside. So it's it's yeah. pretty crazy. <laughs> so, anyways, as all, as all this stuff is going, it's just you know I'm looking through Revelation, learning this stuff, and one of the main things what I was looking at was that word bow because you know, it, growing up you think that word bow would mean bow and arrow, but you know in the Greek it means you know toxin, and then you're looking at the word crown and or corona, and you know, anyways, it was just some interesting things. Yeah, no, I've I've seen people try to make those connections. It's interesting because we definitely know that, um, you know, releasing pestilence on society is a part of the end, the the the, uh, the beasts in game. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. It really well, is sorcery, right? It's pharmaceutical, right? right? So yeah, yeah. yeah, we we're getting forced to put these jabs in us up here. It's pretty crazy. Well, brother, I wish you the best. Um, hey, stay away from the they, jabs. Hey, oh yeah, we're no, we're, we're we're staying far away from that. Um, thank you so much for everything, though. I appreciate it. And, uh, hey, you're you're, uh, you, I've been watching your channel from almost day one. It's awesome. Love it. Oh, really? Awesome. So, yeah. Thanks for calling in, man. All right. Yeah. Welcome to, you're welcome to call in on another broadcast. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, brother. Bye-bye. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. All right, guys.
So um, looks like we have some new people uh, to the channel tonight that are in the chat. So uh, everyone that's not new to the channel, be sure to treat them with as much love and patience as possible. We were all new to these ideas at one point. And looks like um, Joshua is saying, how can I call in? It's scrolling at the bottom of the screen, brother. That's the link. It's scrolling below my face at the bottom of the screen. You put that in the browser and it opens up a new window and I can let you into the studio to talk to you. Be sure to have, be sure to be ready to be on camera. You know what I'm saying? But I'll be glad to, to talk to you. Prodigal Son's asking about a list of apocryphal books that we've reviewed or talked about. It's an entire series called The Honor of Kings. You have three, uh, almost three full series of seasons that you can you can binge watch if you like, brothers. So go to my playlists. You'll see Honor of Kings season one, two, and three. You're welcome to check those out, brother. Uh, rag ragu, this is actually what milk and meat is designed to. So the milk, that would be for beginner Bible studies, right? And that's why tonight, as you've heard me talking, I'm taking the time to go over the definitions of words. That should be in every beginner Bible study that you ever go to. It's not just starting with Genesis 1. It's, it's making sure people understand these foundational terms that are used all throughout the Bible so that no matter if you're in the front of the book or the back of the book, you can understand what they're talking about. So that is one of the goals of Milk and Meat and why you've seen me take the time to expound on so many definitions tonight. Looks like uh, Line Within Us, thank you, brother. He put in the Honor of Kings playlist in the live chat. If you guys want to click on that and watch, watch uh, those. I apologize that some of the video quality from season one isn't the best, but I was just getting started. That was like three years ago. So all right. Astrid quotidian quo quotidian. I don't know. I don't, Astrid. Great question. And I actually answered this in my, in my milk and meat uh, video Hebrews. That was um, when I did the Hebrews chapter one presentation several months ago, back in October 30th. I'll go ahead and give you a short, quick answer again. And it is basically um, yes, but not in all the same capacity. There's different types of servants. Priests are called servants. They serve the Lord in different capacities. Some are called high priests. Some are lesser priests. According to this, the hierarchical structure of men and women, I don't see women becoming high priests of any regard, but I see them serving in a priestly capacity to do the functions of a priest, which are to rule, to judge like Deborah, or to be a prophetess like Asher or Anna, excuse me, Anna of the, of the tribe of Asher, um, and also to teach the people Torah, like it was instructed in front of the women, like Miriam did, and I like, you know, Paul instructs in Titus 3. So this is a job of the priests. And they're not all considered high priests, though. So um, still, you're a part of the priesthood, which is to, to reverence the father in servitude by teaching others his behavior. So, yeah, be encouraged, sister. Okay, we got two callers calling in. We got Joshua and Zor. Welcome, brothers. Thanks for hi calling there. in. Joshua's first. So if you have a question, brother, I'll take your question first. Uh, yes, hi. Shabbat shalom. <laughs> Shabbat shalom to you. Yeah, I've been uh, trying to get in contact with you. Uh, <laughs> I'm new at your channel. I've been watching you uh, not not so long. It's just been like almost like a week, but uh, I'm 
I have been, you know, very blessed because, you know, Father put put you on my way, and I've been learning a lot. You know, I have a different uh, theology. You know, I used to uh, as well. Like, yeah, I was like Trinitarian thing. You know, uh, the doctrine and well, the point is here. Um, I'm excited about obeying God's commitment and following them, practicing them. But my question was, um, I'm trying to practice them, right? But my wife and like my family, they don't share the same belief, right? Yeah. And it's, it's kind of hard for me because let's say if I want to keep the Shabbat, right? Yeah. And I've been learning that through the scripture that you've been teaching, uh, the I, I don't supposed to work. Well, I'm not working. I, I asked for the Saturday off. But uh, I also can buy or purchase or make anyone um, work, you know. Right. And but that's something that um, my wife wouldn't be uh, agreeing because you know, like she doesn't share the same belief. I mean, she would want like to go to the restaurants or do the opposite, you know. So my she's, question: was, She's you know, used like, to normal interactions. She's not. She's not. Um, had she read up on? on the ideas of uh, practicing Shabbat by not going to buy or sell and not going to work? Has she, have you been able to have a chance to have that conversation with her? Or the thing is like, she doesn't like, um, she's not like me. She doesn't like care so much about God's stuff in regards that um, obeying or reading the Bible or practicing his way at all. You know, she's okay. more like into, um, the world, like not, she's not like into the, the, the religion or, or following Christ, you know? Okay. So she's still so, what you would consider a baby believer. Is that a fair description? She's still yeah, very believe, young. You know, that God exists and mm -hmm. that he's real, that he, he prays once in a while and things like that. But I mean, she's not like you or the rest of us that is at least trying hard, even though we know that we will sin, but that's why we have Yeshua as our high priest. Yeah, that he's like interceding for us. I mean, she's not at that level, not even in milk level, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of hard. So I was like, I know, I feel in my heart like I want to practice, you know, the commitments. I want to practice the like the feast, the everything, you know, that that is in reading in the Bible. Uh, but it's kind of hard for me, and he's kind of sad. I feel kind of like sad in my heart, you know, because uh, I know fathers know that I want to, you know, but I mean, I. If I go like against um, her feelings or her belief, you know, we we could start like a fight or thing like that, you know, sure. and yeah, and I don't want to provoke that as well, you know. So I'm like, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't know what can I do or what do you think? Well, what What do you think would happen if you did provoke it? What would be the worst case scenario? Well, the thing like, the, for example, the in the in the Sabbath, I mean, if if I don't. Because I'm the only one who drives, <laughs> so I mean, she would she would be like, okay, take me here, and, you know, and, and let's go to a restaurant. I mean, not just because you believe in this it's, uh, God behaving thing. It, that doesn't mean that I have to be part of it. You know, we'll start like an argument thing. You know. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, well, I'll definitely, you know, I definitely want to encourage you, brother. I know a lot of uh, families, a lot of spouses are in a, a situation similar to you. And it, it can be very challenging as far as trying to get your spouse to the same level of interest and the same level of passion, you know, that the father is putting you right now. But here's I would want to encourage you, though, because what, I, what I'm hearing is that the father's put you in a good place. 
because he's given you the passion first. Do you know how many people out there that husband and wives where the wife gets turned on to the father first, and then they're trying to drive their husband into the faith into a deeper right. way. And it's and that, that becomes even more challenging, but you're in a position as a leadership of, of your family and, and, scripturally, you know, the father has asked the man to be in a leadership position over the wife to lead them into good things, not to manipulate them, not to abuse them, not to do anything negative, but to teach them and lead them into good things in Torah. So that means that it seems like at this point in your life, he's putting that into your heart to give you that desire to learn his ways so that you can better relate them to, to her who you love and then bring her along too. You know what I'm saying? So to me, I see you, I know it feels frustrating right now, but I feel like you're actually in a good place. You're right. just in the, you're in a, you're in a, the beginning of the, of the process. If I could say it like that, the beginning of the journey, right. and it, it feels uncomfortable right now. You know what I mean? But right. I just, hopefully you take some encouragement to know that he's putting the desire in your heart. And that's the way the father typically t teaches the women, you know, to bring them along to his daughters, right. By giving them a man that's able to lead them into good behavior. And that's what you have a passion for. So, I think it, I'll keep praying for you. And I think it's just a matter of time. Just keep being consistent, keep being strong and trying to um, learn about the father's ways and, and implement them more and more into your life. And then she's going to notice and she's going to come with you. That's, that's usually the way it works. So you think, so you think like um, it wouldn't like affect me, like, uh, you know, like in a higher level because, you know, father knows my heart. He knows that I'm trying to practice it. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, but he knows that, I mean, if I'm not able to practice it, like, and a hundred percent, like completely the way he's supposed to be practicing. Yeah, Not he knows you're practicing. Think but about he, like, the, have you ever taken martial arts? Have you ever taken any kind of self-defense class or? No, like not that? really. So no. you know how you see like the white belts and they get out there and they don't know mm -hmm. how to kick or punch, you know, and they look pretty awkward. Yeah. Well, the, the, <laughs> the grand master who's teaching the class, who's been doing it for 40 years, he doesn't run over to the white belts and just push them out of his studio. You know, he, he, he lets them make all these mistakes for years until they get really good and they get accomplished. So my, my personal life, when I come to the realization that I was supposed to be keeping the Sabbath, cause it was eternal and, and nothing went away when Jesus came, it was the same instruction. And I wanted to start keeping it in my life. It took me over two years before I could actually start keeping it consistently because I, I had a job that required me to work on Saturday and I couldn't find a, another job that would allow me to have off on Saturday. And so it, it was something that weighed on my heart for two years and I prayed about it. And why didn't the father just instantly give me another job? Like in the first week he didn't, it was until two years later. Can I so ask he, you just one more thing? Sure. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, I stopped going to the, the church that I, I used to go because the same thing, reason that, I mean, I, I felt that um, the doctrine was like not according to the scripture Am I doing right by stop going to that church and just following you guys? I mean, your, you know, your well, teaching. Just, yeah, you just be, just pray about it to be led by the Father. As far as if you're going to that church to learn, as far as to, you know, get discipled by somebody to teach you the Word of God, and they're not teaching you that, then why are you going? If you're going to that church to fellowship with other people and be a light to them, and show them you know, your walk with Christ and be a good light and shine to them, then that's a different reason, right? So we don't discourage people from going to church. We're very grateful and happy that you found our channel and that you feel like we're teaching you something that's benefiting you. 
but at the same time, like we know people can still grow in because every church is different. You know what I mean? And you, right. you could be there to benefit someone else in that church because you're there and you build relationships with them. So if you're in a season in your life where the father is just trying to teach you his ways. So he's trying to like, you know, maybe he pulled you away from distractions. He's trying to build you up and strengthen you in his behavior and learn in discipleship. Um, enjoy that season, but be be open. If he wants you to go interact with people from a regular church, don't, you know, don't, it's not going to hurt you. Right. Cause you just have your good light to shine on them. If they haven't, cause if they're in a church with bad theology and bad doctrine, well, they need good theology. Right. Yeah. Cause so, the thing is that I, I challenge my, uh, not, not challenge, but I mean, I, I talked to my pastor and I was like, I started asking, you know, like uncomfortable questions, you know, like, sure. Uh, what would you, what would you say? You know, they're like three person, you know, got the father, got the son, got the spirit. And, you know, and I was like, okay, wh what about this passage here in the Bible? What, what about this other passage here? And things like that, you know, because, I mean, I, I like reading the Bible. I like studying the Bible. I mean, I'm not the best at it, but, I mean, uh, it's in my heart, you know, like I want to learn, you know, the good, good. things. Yeah, and I started like, asking him, like, those uncomfortable questions, and he keeps repeating me, like, the same answers as, you know, you see everyone giving you that doesn't go according to the context, you know. And it's the first, the first, it's, it's the first time I, I found someone, you know, like you was, was talking about context, you know, because I, um, I used to be the type of person also, you know, that I, I would read, you know, translations or read Hebrew, but I would never put things on context. So that's why I would yeah. start like being like, like them. But when I yeah. saw you guys and your teaching and everything, I was like, oh my God, I'm so wrong. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy when when just you know reading the entire chapter becomes revolutionary. It's it, you know that you know there, we've got some hurdles to overcome. But hey, I've got I've got on the bottom of the screen here, I've got a link to a video that we've done in the past. My wife and I did this. This is one of our milk and meat Friday night episodes. So it's in our playlist. From, and I've also got the link here in the chat and on the screen. And I'm going to put this to show you what the thumbnail looks like. Oh, yeah, I saw it. I, I saw that one. It's, it's amazing. I mean, I like okay, it. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we try to give some good advice on how to deal with friends and family who are not keeping Torah. Um, exactly. And so it can be a challenge. So I, I definitely pray for you uh, and may the Father strengthen you in that. Hopefully you just keep, you know, keep watching and we hope to bless you with this channel. Where, but where I'm going to jump to Zor. What's that? Yeah, go. Yeah, where, where can I get all the books like Second uh, Ezra's and, and uh, Tobiah? I mean, they're all available for free online unless you just specifically want to find a bookseller that, that sells them, you can go to pseudopigrapha.com or sacredtext.com and you'll find okay. almost all of them online for free. Yeah. All right. Thank you, brother. I mean, yeah, I, I don't take much of your time. <laughs> thank it's you so okay, much for uh, taking your yeah, time and answering all my to questions. stay if you want. Zor, what's up, brother? What's your question? Thanks for calling in. My man, how is the voice coming through? Uh, yeah, I hear you and see you well. Yeah. Excellent, man. God bless you for this platform. I couldn't thank you enough for this sorry about the nasal strip sorry about the it's bald okay. hair uh, <laughs> okay. we're working it's on okay. it <laughs> um this is uh to my uh, virtual house uh, church crew in the chat guys this is this is your from the chat <laughs> every saturday we're uh, part of rob skiba's um virtual house church um so uh, my walk has been kind of painful to say the least, and it really didn't get into gear, I would probably say, on my wedding anniversary um, of all days, which oh, really? 
being like uh we're the bride of christ <laughs> okay. and then on my wedding anniversary it happened to be a somewhat of a renewal of faith i, I found that one of we uh, uh pastor jim calls it the uh, pastor jim staley calls it the wink like uh, god's winking at us like that's a sense of humor you know uh, yeah. so brother to i guess keep it short obviously but um what happened was um i feel i feel the tugging on the strings going on in the back of my head uh, from my name you could probably tell uh it's not a normal name <laughs> but it's uh it's pronounced it's a short form of of george in russian it's pronounced jora jora so yeah uh we're proud of our culture um i'm armenian uh, oh great yeah we share a lot of Ru russian names um something's been nagging at my heart and in my mind just thoughts are coming into my head and i said you know what instead of getting annoyed let me entertain it for a little bit what if this is what i'm supposed to be looking into um and there seems to be a serious either vacuum or, you know, it's just not there, but uh, the Armenian people are proud, which could be a bad thing, but we're proud because we're uh, the first Christian nation in 301 AD was when it was declared. And everywhere right now, I'm trying to study possible like uh, tribal identity with Israel or possible whatever we might have to do in biblical times, because we're old old people um and it comes up a few times and not to get you know too technical in it this has been my first uh, actual question so thank you so much for taking my call on this but um i'm starting an inquiry into what other students of the faith of the scriptures have come across when it comes to either armenia as it's noted in the bible it's called the land of ararat or ararat and also Urartu is another name it might go by. So mm -hmm. anything that you have on that, I'd be greatly appreciative. Uh, to anything I have as, as far as just the references whatever, of those two names? Exactly. Whatever you've heard, anything in the Bible you've come across that has to do with Armenia or the Armenian people. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I, unfortunately, not, not the specific people group. Um, those specific geographical terms and names that we've heard from Genesis and from Jubilees, uh, referencing the the mountains north of Syria. Um, so that's all I know, unfortunately, brother. I apologize. <laughs> I do. In fact, I think I one of the manuscripts that we covered on Honor of Kings. I, I'm trying to remember which one. It it was also first um, first published in the Armenian um, canon, um, and it, as opposed to the one. Catholic canon. I can't remember which which script. It, I think it was Apostle Abraham, maybe. Uh, I can't remember which script it was, but um, but yeah, I know there's a long-standing history of believers from Armenia who faced a lot of persecution in the past. It's it's still going on, brother. It's very sad what's going on over there right now. Um, yeah. There was a war uh, last year from September 27th to November 9th. It was a 44-day war. Uh, we lost a lot of young people, and they're still threatening our lands right now. I'm it's sorry, it's brother. very sad. Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm praying. I'm fasting, and um, uh, I know I know it's it's all in His hands. So I just uh, trying to stay faithful there. But uh, yeah, I think uh, this might be my call to action in my in my study. <laughs> this was my official uh, first inquiry. So I, I thank yeah. you for that. Really yeah, I appreciate you watching, man. And uh, hopefully that. Um, you know, unfortunately, I, I'm I'm not the best on 
what possible dispersion, you know, and tribal dispersions happen throughout scripture um, beyond Genesis 10 and Jubilees 8 and 9. Um, as far as tracing them throughout history, I, I don't purport to be a true historian. I know I cover a lot of history stuff on our channel, but as far as going into a deep dive on ethnic um, uh, groups that spread out in the different regions, um, I think Dr. Pigeon has, has focused a lot on that uh, and trying to trace different concepts. Um, I personally, myself, am European and uh, Native American, both Chickasaw and Cherokee. So, you know, I there's Cherokee settlements that they found paleo Hebrew writings on relics. So mm. there there's like modern day suspicion that is it possible that there's these native Americans in the United States that were actually dispersed Israelites from seventh century BC uh, when the house of Israel was invaded by the Assyrians. So there, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful mystery uh, that I think the enemy doesn't want us to know is try desperately to cover up over time. Um, but the good news is, well, all, all those answers will be given to us, in my opinion, and at the at the resurrection when we're all regathered, you know, um, into the land that the new Jerusalem that comes down and sits over the land of promise to Abraham between the Euphrates and the Nile. And we're all gathered in the new Jerusalem. I think we'll have all these answers to, you know, who went where and who was the genealogy of who and the father just lay it all out to us. And I don't know if the angels are going to have like a big a big whiteboard presentation or not, but like, I, I feel like they're going to explain it to us. You know, they'll share because they have all the notes. They have all the notes. First Enoch says, everything is written down by the angels, everything that man does. So they have all the notes. They'll tell us all the answers at the resurrection. So hopefully that's Amen. encouragement to you, brother. Amen. Thank, guys, you. thank you so much for calling in. Thank you. Thank you. I thank really you appreciate it. Goodness. Yeah, you're welcome. Y'all have a great Shabbat thank if you're you. celebrating and I'm going to try yeah. to maybe take one last question from the chat and then I'll be done with the broadcast. Shabbat shalom. See you guys. Right. See, see you later. <laughs> All right. This won't be the last question, but it's just funny. So I'll go ahead and address it. Adam, he's asking, been waiting to ask this for a long time. Where do you get your ideas from? The Bible. <laughs> I get them from the Bible, brother. Um, just been reading it for a long time. I get it from the Bible, uh, like like you saw tonight. If you've been watching the whole thing tonight, I try to show you the definitions of words as given to us from the scriptures. That way, it makes it easy. It's not hard to read. It's just I'm trying to apply. Like we're trying to apply the same reading comprehension that you and I were taught in grade school and in, in, in public schooling. I'm trying to apply that to a Bible, and you'll be amazed how easy it is to read. So for whatever weird reason, churches have not applied that type of reading comprehension to the Bible in the last 150 years and preachers have just started taking stuff out of context and making great sermons off of it. And meanwhile, the person sitting in the pew uh, there, they don't have all the dots connected for them. So they, you know, they leave with a lot of confusion. So yeah, man, I just try to read the Bible a whole bunch. Um, thank you for the super chat. The prodigal son just says, thank you for this time of fellowship. The past nine months of this community have been a blessing to myself and my family. Blessings to you. Praise Yahweh. Someone named Detour is forever. Yes, sir. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, prodigal son. I really appreciate that. Really appreciate that. And Ruben Akers is saying, here's a coffee for you and Lindsay so you can keep creating great content. Thank you for your amazing ministry. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so we'll have tour portion tomorrow. And we will um, make make sure you're, you're here for a tour portion in the morning if you want to be. And we're going to be reviewing, uh, continue reviewing Leviticus. And um, it's just, 
to me, that's like the meat. Like I know this is called milk and meat. And sometimes we deal with really heavy topics. Sometimes we deal with lighter topics, but tour portions are always meaty because we're just digging right into the instructions and, you know, hopefully it's a blessing to people. They can go forward with that. But um, also guys, I just wanted to announce, and I'll probably make this announcement again. And also make this announcement in the, in the, in the Facebook group that we have as well. Um, but my schedule has just been so crazy with um, continue doing stuff with lighthouse continue uh, with uh, this contextual study guide, trying to get that prepared and ready. And then also working on uncommon ground with Wes, Wes plays music on his channel and uh, doing projects with that as well. And um, I wanted to do, I announced like a month and a half ago, I was wanting to work on a series called every word where I interviewed people about their discipleship and growth. I'm just not going to have time to do that right now. I've got to be honest with myself and I'm overextending um, what I'm doing behind the scenes to prepare for these shows and, and everything. Cause on common ground, actually we, we do a lot of prep for that show. And, uh, and then I'm also taking time during the week to do the contextual study guide as well. So I'm basically, <clears throat> I want to do the every word series um, in addition to, you know, when Ken comes, when Ken is ready to come back and we can do honor Kings and finish that up uh, in addition to the milk and meats, the tour portions and the kingdom cast. Um, I wanted to do this little sub series called every word. And um, I just not going to have time to do it probably until the late fall after lighthouse has already launched over the summer. And after um, we get some of these other things accomplished. So I just, I got to just be real with myself and not put too much on my plate. So um, ultimately we still got a lot of great content for you. Ultimately we're still doing a lot of good things. If you're not already subscribed to West plays music, where we do a Wednesday night show called uncommon ground, make sure you go over there and subscribe. We talk about biblical cosmology, interview pastors, do lots of scriptures, do experiments and science. So make sure you check that out as well. Um, ultimately, you know, we're, we're keep on trucking along. We're excited about what we're doing and we got a lot we're, we are doing. I'm excited to, to get to, to, make up some ground over the last two weeks with the contextual study guide and do my first release of the, of the first few books on that. Cause they're big books though. I, it's not like I just chose like Ecclesiasticus and, and um, Ecclesi excuse me, Ecclesiastes and, and the song of Solomon or something like I chose Genesis and Jubilees and first Enoch. <laughs> I chose these huge, massive books to, to try to, to release first for people. And also Romans, like Romans is going to be ready. So, um, so yeah, but then after that, like I'm going to, probably fly through you know the new testament books are small comparatively but there's other big books i'll be working on too like isaiah and jeremiah and ezekiel and the, the big big daddies so uh, but ultimately that's a work in progress and if everyone that's already supporting us on that that's on patreon thank you for your patience it's coming out soon i'll be ready to release that first release of those books and um and so you can access them early and then uh just keep continuing with all the all the rest so it's just a big it's going to be a big year long process. So thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you for all your questions. Uh, we'll look for one last question real quick before we end tonight. Blue mountain flower of Yah Sims is asking where other than in Proverbs, and I'm guessing you're referring to Proverbs eight. And that's what a lot of people believe is speaking of Yeshua. Where does scripture speak of the birth of Yeshua before creation? Um, I've never seen it. it. Just we have first Enoch 46 and 48. Uh, I think it's chapter 48 talks about him being named before the angels, before the sun and moon stars were created. Um, and then of course, John, uh, John chapter 17, verse four and five, Yeshua says that he was with the father before the world was created, before the world began. So 
I've never really seen a specific scripture that explains before uh, day one of creation week, when Yeshua was brought forth from the father. I just know that the father says, Jesus says, Yeshua says the father's greater and that he came from the father. Right. So um, I would assume the father came first and Yeshua came second. I know that Trinitarians get really upset about that. Um, and, but ultimately both of them were in existence before the world was created, before the angels were created. And then I believe they both had a part in creation, but ultimately I don't, I don't know of an exact first brother that says when he was brought forth from the father. Uh, people are asking about tour portions and that's going to be 12 PM central standard time or 11 AM mountain time, 10 PM Pacific standard time. So that's, that's the general premise. And of course I'll make a notification. It'll pop up on our Facebook or on YouTube notifications uh, later tonight for tomorrow morning. Um, Ruben, I'm not sure what you're referring to. We've never had an actual, I mean, th this is kind of like our weekly fellowship stuff that we do. And I do these open Q and A's and I do these, uh, these uh, tour portions of milk and meats where you can, you can live interact, but we've never had an actual uh, fellowship in person when in an actual building or anything like that. So you may be mistaken with another, um, another ministry. Uh, Kingdom is asking, thank you for the super chat, by the way, Kingdom. Appreciate that. He's asking, thanks for the content, brother and blessings to everyone here. I can't wait to see you all in the kingdom of heaven one day. Hallelujah. Much love and blessings to you and yours. Hallelujah. Awesome, brother. I agree with you. We'll, we'll, We'll all have a good laugh about how little we actually knew when we get there. We'll all have a good laugh when we have perfect theology with the father and when we completely understand everything he has to teach us. And uh, we'll all be able to realize all the moments where he saved our life, saved our hearts, had our back in times of trouble, in times of failure. We'll all see these wonderful moments that he'll reveal to us where he brought us through, right? He is faithful to complete what he started in us. So that is, um, that is just the good father that we have. So thank you guys for everything you're doing. Hope you have a great night and we'll